0: From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 107. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Perry. Hello. I have toilet paper. <laughs> 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 I just i just remember that photograph that you uh you, you shared with us in uh, our private chat uh, it, did
1: you take that photograph with the with the- no no that was from social media but yeah it was a picture through someone's window of someone else's window that was stacked to the ceiling with toilet paper <laughs> yeah. it's not inaccurate people have been hoarding this stuff
2: uh, well where was the i I saw a story somewhere uh, about like a there was a big haul of it found that was stolen or something like that.
1: Oh no no, um, a delivery driver uh, who worked for a supermarket chain got robbed at knife point at night. Oh uh, okay, and the robbers took a couple hundred rolls of toilet paper. <laughs>
0: That's incredible well uh yeah okay well um this week first of all i just want to thank Annal mystery for being well on his triumphant uh return uh to our show last week um it was fantastic having you on again and i was yeah. i was thinking about this uh, i was i was thinking was the first person to be on our show after appearing on uh desert island lenses but that's not strictly true because perry went there and then immediately became a host well that's true yeah, yeah. that's true but he was the first guest his first best mm-hmm. guest to return after uh, after no being eric married. so uh so.
1: no 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 simon eric was the first
0: i said had been on since he's been on the island
1: yeah when i was uh in um canada he came on he and ricardo came on
0: ah uh, yeah yeah but he was he was a guest host on that show that's different
1: <laughs> okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway um let's uh, let's start off with uh, what's been happening in hong kong perry
1: Ooh, so we're still under uh essentially lockdown so um i have been doing a lot of stuff photographically the light has been absolutely gorgeous uh for the last week and it looks like it's going to continue that way so i'm shooting as much as i can uh, but we're we're a lens podcast, so we're going to start with a little bit of gas uh, and a little bit of lens talk. So the the economic impact of this coronavirus has been quite massive, and one of the places that's been affected is all of the areas that serve tourists. So last week I was in a place called Harbor City, and which is basically a big mall uh, in a touristy area. And in Harbor City is a Leica store. Now, in Hong Kong, there are there are quite a few Leica stores. There's at least four that I can think of, but I think there's more. Um, and, and Leica stores are kind of weird here in Hong Kong because people who are actually into this hobby, no one's going to buy stuff from a Leica store because there are dozens and dozens of uh, independent shops that sell better used equipment for film photography and then... You know, new Leica gear for much better prices than at the Leica store. So, it's a. It's strange that there's so many. They seem like just kind of a vanity project. But b. This one that's you know smack bang in the tourist area. The vast majority of their business must have been from essentially mainland tourists who are no longer here because of the virus. So, this shop is going out of business, and they're going out of business at the end of this month. I think there's maybe six days left. Uh, five days left at the end of February. So. I was there last week, and I was just poking around. And one of the interesting things about this Leica store is they had a couple of shelves of old vintage lenses, Uh, not all Leica lenses. Most of them were actually not Leica lenses, um, and most of them were kind of adapted to Sony or attached to helicoids and stuff. And I've I've only seen one other Leica store that had a display like this, which was always the only interesting part for me. So I went and I had a look and they had a lot of cool stuff. They had Meyer optic lenses, they had Taylor Hobsons. um, And I saw a couple of things that caught my eye. There was a, there was a Schneider Zenon, a Rodenstock Heligon and a few other things. But I didn't pick anything up at the time because I thought, you know what, if I can't use these on film cameras, I'm not that interested, even though they're pretty cheap. But then a couple of days ago, I was back in the area with my girlfriend and I just wanted to nip in because I felt like I regretted not getting something because they were so cheap. Um, so we went back in and the entire store was wiped clean except for this uh, display of old lenses. And it was kind of surreal because, like, it's a Leica store. The shelves are empty. All the cameras are gone. All the lenses are gone. The only thing left was filters, cases, and a Celux. Um <laughs> And a couple of books and display items. So, so I asked the shopkeepers what was up. And they were like, well, the shop's closing down. They were having a fire sale. And some of the items were selling for like 80% off, which is unheard of in a Leica store. Um, Yeah, so I went over to the secondhand lens display cabinet, which, you know, the, the normal clientele of this shop just wouldn't have any interest in. And I picked up a couple of things. Uh, for prices that were in the kind of dozens of pounds or, or dozens of dollars. They're really cheap. One was a Rodenstock Retina Heligon. Um, actually, before I talk about the lenses, do you guys have any insight into what the sort of commercial structure is of these Leica stores and whether or not it's common for them to have these huge closing down fire sales? Because I was talking <laughs> to my girlfriend, and we were like, wouldn't they just send them Send the new stuff, you know, to another Leica store. It seems odd that they would slash prices for to to that degree. I, I,
2: I, well, I'm only my insights only coming from working at a Leica, at a place that has a Leica dealership. Um, but I, I, I tend to think that they're not, quote unquote, official Leica stores, Um, because if you if you're selling new like a gear um you essentially can't put things on sale it's you just you can't do it you can lose your dealership for that like you can't sell things on eBay and you mm-hmm. can't you can't do sale prices so mm-hmm. uh, unless things have gone off catalog have been disco'd or something you know what i mean you can't you just can't do it so i i highly suspect that they're probably it, it, I mean, is it the same as in mainland China where they have all those Apple stores that aren't Apple stores? No, no, no. Thing? This is legit. Uh,
1: wow. This is definitely a legit Leica store. We've got a we've got a bunch of them in Hong Kong. Um, each is run by its own franchisees, so they each have their own flavor. Uh, but, yeah. but they're definitely like official Leica stores. And this one right, is in a high-end shopping mall.
2: It, all right. Because, see, that's what strikes me as kind of weird. But maybe it's just the market is that... Like a, I don't think they will. They're they're very selective about where those stores are. Yeah. Um, so, like for instance, in Chicago, doesn't have one because there's there are two well established Leica dealers here, and I, I, it wouldn't make any sense for them to step on toes, really. So there's no like and that, and like if they were to try to open a Leica store in Chicago, it would have to be on North Michigan Avenue. The rents would be like crazy sky high and mm. i i don't i don't think that there's enough i mean the the metro area is nine million people here it's an international city and there's not enough business here for them to open a store that would compete with their other two dealers that sell their stuff already you know what i mean so i right. it's like it wouldn't make sense in this market but that doesn't mean that in hong kong it wouldn't make sense for there to be a shitload of franchises i guess yeah, um, I mean, this one is on
1: Leica's website, so it's definitely yeah,
2: okay. One. Well, all right then, there you go. And so maybe it's just market by market, and the market has been so big in Hong Kong that they're like, sure, you know. But it is, yeah, uh, yeah. Usually the stuff would go back to Leica. The, so basically, the way they do it is if you if you're if let's say you buy a bunch of inventory, mm-hmm. and you're for whatever reason. It didn't sell, blah blah blah. You needed it to to you want to get rid of it. You could send it back to them, but they deduct a certain percentage. So you're sort of sending it, you're sort of sending it back at a loss, right?
1: Um okay. So maybe yeah. that's what they did. Be yeah.
2: I mean it, maybe- it's possible that they just sent back at a loss the stuff that they that they just had to get you know to get rid of for the cash flow but it's also possible they were just like screw it we're just going to sell it cheap get our money out and we don't care about ever having a like a franchise you know what i'm saying it's that sort of thing um, yeah so okay. it so i don't know i mean it it it, it 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 just sounds like a bit of an odd situation because there's they're even allowing more than one like a store in a market Essentially competing against themselves,
1: you know. Oh, there's tons in Hong Kong because but yeah. the market here is massive.
2: Right. And that's what I'm thinking is that because of the size of the market, they figured, well, we won't just wanna have two in one shopping center or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so so that seems plausible because I'm just looking at their website. There's one, two, three. Uh there's three official Leica stores listed, and then I know there's wow. one at the airport. It's, there's one at the airport as well. Wow, that's um, crazy. So the it seems plausible that maybe the owner was getting out because I asked the shopkeepers why there were suddenly, um, A, nothing on the shelves and B, a bunch of random old lenses that no one was buying. Yeah. And they told me that it was the franchise owner's personal collection. Ah. Um, and he was basically in the process of uh, liquidating his Leica store, also just liquidating some stuff from his own personal collection. Yeah, okay. And I was like, okay. So I, I started asking them a bunch of questions about some of these lenses, and it became evident that they had no idea what these lenses were. Wow. Um, and and perhaps they had some input on the pricing. <laughs> um, so uh, what I ended up picking up was, number one, a Rodenstock Retina Heligon uh, 50 millimeter f2 that was very expertly ripped off of a Retina and basically <laughs> mounted to a Yifeng M42 helicoid, and then uh, with a Sony adapter ring on the back. And I've wanted to do this for a while, but the lens, the camera that I have with this lens on it, is still working, uh, so I, I can't kill it because it's super nice. Um, it's an Agfa carrot. So this was this was number one to steal because I've wanted to try this lens on digital for so long, and it is absolutely stunning. Uh, I, I don't know what the optical design of this Heligon is. I assume it's a six-element double Gauss. Um, but, the you know, it, it feels good. It handles well. And it, it's not as sharp as the other lens I picked up, but it looks it, it looks sharper when you don't zoom in. I don't know if that makes mm. sense. It has that kind of pop to it that it, uh, it's just it's lovely. I've wanted to do this for ages, and it was just amazing that this shop had it. Uh, so there's that. The other thing i did not pick up was um for i think for about 90 pounds they had listed a lens that i i've heard of but never seen in person i didn't know if it was any good i i think i i had assumed it was crap it was a porst 135 millimeter f 1.8 hmm. uh with uh in pentax k mount with a pk to nex adapter do you guys know anything about that lens did i did i miss a miss a trick there
0: I've come across a lens a few times. It's one of those lenses that, that you can find in different mounts. Um, well, just by any post actually, is in different, different mounts. It's massive. I can't remember who it is that, that makes it. I know that you can get them in. The Petri have got them, and there's there's, there's all sorts. Um, they they usually go for relatively strong money, largely simply because of the speed of the things, and uh, yeah. they're, they're just that draws you in um but i've i've yet to see any compelling photographs taken with it to make you actually want to use it and use it wide open so it's it's a bit of a trophy lens from what i can see
1: yeah it's massive i mean <laughs> f1.8 at that focal length i was tempted to get it just because of the price because i thought ninety ninety 90 pounds for a lens just this size like the raw materials alone must be worth close to that <laughs> with, an ad- with an adapter as well, with a nice Pentax to uh, Sony adapter attached.
0: Yeah. By, the, by the way, I've just been, since you started, since you mentioned the word heligon earlier, I've, I've been very quiet because I've just been doing, I've been going full on cold and uh, trolling <laughs> the internet to find out more can i get hold of one of these things because because it sounds almost like it's a helio uh, it's not but i don't think it is anyway but it just sounds that way and that obviously makes it ace um even if, <laughs> even if it's just using some of the letters um and something i've found out the 51.9 uh version dkl is uh, a six element in four groups lens it, it's not really showing the configuration but it sound it sounds like a symmetrical double Gauss to me.
1: It, it looks like a symmetrical double Gauss too, in the way that it renders. Um, it, it's actually very similar to the Xenon in rendering, but um, with a little bit of yeah, it's got a bit of swirl. It's really it's really sharp. Colors are beautiful, um, and I've shot this on film, and it just it's it's wonderful. So now I can shoot it on the Sony too. Yeah, cool. Usually, because the cheapest way to get those heligons is to. Um, uh, get them on a retina and they'll be much cheaper that way. But then you have to go to the effort of actually removing them from the stupid retina, which yeah. is not as simple as unscrewing it because I can tell by the way that this thing is constructed. Someone has clearly, you know, done a little bit of metal work here uh, to <laughs> chop it off and, um, and so mount it onto to an M42 screw.
0: I was just going to say, when you're, you're talking about getting one where the, the lens is fixed rather than being a DKL, version yes. is, that, is that correct yeah
1: yes that's right that's, that's it it's right.
0: just, just worth making that distinction just in case people are thinking why why do you have to get it off the the, the dkl mount because you could, oh yeah
1: no no no. it's it's not the big fat um weird chrome and black dkl one uh it's the little one off of the i think the retina 2 yeah
0: has it got the has it got yeah. the, the shutter built into the mech into it as well
1: uh, yes that's right. So yeah. the shutter has has been um forced into a permanently open position. So it'll be uh, on a
0: camera that would have been perhaps on bellows or something like that.
1: Yeah yeah that's right. It's it's a folding uh, folding rangefinder if that's the original camera. Yeah. And I, I have this exact lens on my Agfa Carrot which is also a 36 millimeter a uh, thirty six, thirty-five 35 mm rangefinder with um kind of a collapsible bellows lens and it's wonderful. So anyway there's that, uh, and then the other thing I picked up. This was this was kind of fun. There, there was another lens just sitting there, um, and again I was asking the shopkeepers, and they had no idea what it was, and all I saw was the front of the lens, and it said Schneider Kreuznach Zenon uh, 50 f2 Red Triangle, um, and I just I assumed that this was a Zenon taken from a Retina as well, or some other fixed lens camera, because it was housed in essentially. You know, one of those generic Yifeng helicoids, uh, with then a Leica M mount on the back, without rangefinder coupling. And I thought, okay, Schneider Zanon 50f two, that's cool. The price is really seems really good for this lens. I'm just going to buy it. So, so then I bought it, and when I was afterwards, I was getting a drink with my girlfriend, and we were just kind of sitting down, and I was looking at this lens, and I was like, hey, I wonder if I can sort of take the individual parts apart. Because I think each of the individual parts may be worth as much as, you know, I paid um, for the lens in total. So, so I started unscrewing stuff. And lo and behold, first the rear mount came off. So there's a little M42 uh, converter there with a LTM to like M adapter on the back. And I was like, okay, cool. That's worth a couple of bucks. And then the helicoid itself is very nice. So I uh, checked if the lens would unscrew from the helicoid, which it did. And I was like, sweet, I, I need, you know, this kind of helicoid anyway for this focal length. And then I looked at the actual optical block and I was like, yo, this doesn't look like it's been ripped off from another camera. It looks like there's actually a complete lens attached to this helicoid with um, basically a screw ring, you know, like one of those rings with little Allen key screws on the side Yeah, to hold it in place. And so I I took it home and I unscrewed the uh, little Allen key screws and that thing came right off. And lo and behold, I am now holding in my hand a 50 f2 Xenon uh, for exact amount. And it is in really good shape. A couple of cleaning marks in the front It's the 15 blade version, which I believe is somewhat uncommon. Um, Yeah, and apart from a bit of a stiff focus, it's a beautiful little lens. So I then went on eBay and uh, the, the ones that have sold are in far worse condition than this. Um, and they sold for much more than I paid for it. And it was just like, man, I I bought a lens not really knowing what it was, and there's another lens hidden inside it. I felt like some kind of Indiana Jones lens archaeologist. (laughs) Uh. Now, it turns out that there's, in addition to finding the surprise lens, there is something about the serial number of of this lens that's particularly cool, is there not? Uh, You could say that, yeah. Do either the, of you
2: have this lens? What's the number of your lens there, Perry?
1: Uh, well, the number on my lens is uh, 2601.223. All
2: right, because I have 2601.222. Two, two, two. So mine's, mine was made one before yours, I guess. You're a little bit older. That's by one crazy. lens, <laughs> Or a little bit younger. A little bit younger by one lens. And better coatings a better coded
1: <laughs> that's insane i mean yeah. when we found this out earlier our minds were blown yeah it's, oh, it's, what it's are the crazy. <laughs>
0: it's i was crazy. i was really disappointed that
2: mine mine's about five million
0: more <laughs> 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 uh,
2: so i i'm trying to do a little research um i i had it's been a while since i played with this lens um i got a couple of these lenses very very inexpensively at this legendary massive estate sale that i went to in probably oh my god is it 2015 or thereabouts um and it was this guy who was the president of like the uh kodak collector's society or something and it, it was like a, this massive basement full of you know everything you could imagine um and it, and when I say everything you can imagine, I'm sure all the good stuff had already been long gone by the time they had the estate sale, and it was still amazing. But anyway, I got a couple of these things um, at that estate sale, um, just attached to cameras because they were cheap, and I grabbed them. I figured, oh, whatever. But then I, you know, I did some research later on, and I figured out that they were actually, um, you know, probably pretty unusual. Uh, and not not a super super common lenses because they're they're you know they're preset they're not uh, there's no auto arm on them or anything so they're the older the older style lenses um, so anyway I I I don't remember all the detail I found about them other than the fact that they're not super common um, they're older uncoated lenses and they are small but extremely heavy because <laughs> they're they're that solid heavy chrome brass uh, construction. Um, so, uh, but they're, they're really nice. I mean, they render colors in particular, uh, render really beautifully on this lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's exciting. And I, I, I kind of, I didn't really forgot that I had them, but I just haven't used them in a while. And now that I have a, uh, an exact adapter for my Minolta, I will fire some shots off with this one.
1: So we were, we were trying to figure out the probability uh, yeah, <laughs> finding two lenses with consecutive serial numbers. And, you know, we don't know how many of these were made in total, but my understanding is this version is is a little bit uncommon at least. Yeah. Uh, there's only one on eBay right now. Um and it's totally beat up uh for about just under 200 bucks. But um I mean, you have to take the probability of one and then multiply it by the probability of another to get two consecutive serial numbers, right? <laughs> Right. So I, I think what needs to happen now is Simon, you need to go on a worldwide hunt uh, <laughs> for either two six oh one two two one or two six oh one two two four. I I just want
0: the hellia gone.
2: It's <laughs>
0: it sounds cool, sorry. Uh, no, I've got I've got I've got my zine on. Um I and it' would be cool to get that that uh, that that consecutive number i must say but uh, no, i want the hilly, hilly gone instead
1: the the one that you have the the xenon that you have um i've played with it a bit too you've got the d k l uh yeah the, the d k l one it's like three times the size of this thing but roughly the same weight and and i they don't render the same at all um oh right okay. i mean yeah having played with both of them they they're quite different in the way they look I've given the other one back to the original owner, so I can't really compare them side by side. Um, but I, I definitely enjoy the way this... The the, the lens, it renders like one of those fixed lens camera lenses, uh, similar to the Heligon. A little bit of swirl in the edges, uh, lots of pop. Su- really surprisingly sharp for its, its era.
0: It's, it's certainly a lens. I, I and I'm talking about the DKL one now. It's a lens I, I really like, and it's also yeah. I think Shire Morrison's a big fan of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I've tried to mount it on my Contax AX as well. If I remember doing that once, not too sure. Um, but it's it's a lens for me that uh, it just makes me want to take painterly photographs, um, mm. and uh, I think I really and these days I have to be in the mood. Uh, to take that kind of shot but it's like you know heading in- into the sun shooting wide open and at some i don't know it's some poppies or something like that and uh, it it produces absolutely gorgeous gorgeous images uh, that way mm-hmm. I've never actually tried to use it normally if that makes sense you know just just to have, just to use as, as a is a regular lens it, it, it just seems it just got it's just got bokeh written all over it for me
2: yeah mm yeah and and there's a photo i have around somewhere i'm trying to find i found some other ones i shot this lens but there's um i have a photo of it's like a flowering you know flowering it's like a crab apple tree that's flowering and the photo i took is wide open from about eight feet you know off the ground and it's colors like the there's the flowers and then the sky in the background and the leaves and it's got it's a little bit swirly and the colors are just very kind of like um pastel looking yeah and soft i oh, mean yeah. it's almost it's like it looks like and it was on shot on digital and it it looks like it you're using you know like portrait film wasn't
0: that part of the series of shots that that Ricardo challenged you to go out and shoot bokeh shots with digital, and you came back with some amazing oh no, that images
2: that oh. was more recently. This was quite a while ago. Oh, th- that um, was just the last time you you went out to shoot bokeh
1: <laughs> images on, on on digital. Okay, right? Yeah, this is this is much longer ago them. than that. <laughs> they're really they're they're really nice looking, but yeah, it is a bokeh shot from Johnny, which is not.
2: Uh, oh, no did thing. you see the ones I dropped in the?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking yeah. at the the like brown plants i don't know what those are
2: yeah yeah the grasses so yeah it's um it's definitely i would agree it's definitely it's like a bokeh lens uh i think it would probably be a great um portrait lens Mm -hmm. um like stick it on the on the fuji and take advantage of the crop factor to make it a portrait lens and it should be really really
1: nice yeah yeah I mean, the other thing that this lens has got going for it is that the DKL version, the handling is a bit wacky, right? And those adapters are massive if you're going to adapt them. Right. No one wants to use them on a Retina. Um, But this one, this version in particular, is it's tiny. Yeah, it's really, really a tiny lens. (laughs) It's 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 like the size of the forty millimeter f two Summicron. Yeah, it's like a pancake. Almost. yeah
2: it's yeah it's it's really really small um
1: so the question is apart from the sony what body should i shoot this on because i do i have to use an Exacta? because on the one hand i'm really chuffed that i can actually shoot this thing on film because you know when i bought these lenses from the leica store i thought oh they're converted to sony i can only really shoot them on my sony that's fine but but it's it's an exacto lens
0: yeah it's uh, that's a that's a problem um, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I, I face this problem with my, um, Carl Zeiss, um, 75 1.5. Um, so everybody can feel sorry for me now that I have difficulty in, uh, use, using that lens on the, on other cameras. Small violin. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> So uh, yeah, I've I've been trying to uh, use it on, uh, on on a contacts uh, SLR and really struggled because you can the, the, you can get kits uh, where you can put a M42 ring uh, onto it and it uses the, well the kind that I've seen use uh, three grub screws. Um, the problem is when you're actually tightening the grub screws, you, you bend. Uh, the, the The ring out of shape, but it's it 's very very slim and it has to be because it has to fit over um, the the flanges of 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 the lens and uh, be able to go tight against the, uh, the 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 body of it at the back of the mount um, and there just isn 't much room and so you you tighten these three grub screws and it bends it out of shape and then you you then put that into uh, an m thirty nine to whatever adapter. And you can only screw it in so far. You can't actually screw it in all the way. That's certainly been my experience. I mean, I imagine there have been some people that have managed to make that thing work. Uh, but for me, I, I just couldn't get it to work. Although with the AX, you can get around that because it's got the... Um, the body moves internally, so you've effectively got a built in helicoid that will go both in both Mm. directions, so you can actually uh make use of it with that camera. But uh, as far as uh, yeah, it's it's adapter mirrorless, as far as I'm aware, unless there are other um exacta to other mounts.
2: Well, it'll it'll go straight onto a Minolta. I have a a Minolta, Minolta. it'll it'll go straight onto that, and then you can basically shoot it aperture priority through the working aperture. So... Um yeah so I mean that'll that'll definitely work cuz Minolta has a it's on the short side for register distance yeah um yeah so you you could do that in theory I you could probably get it on to um, a Konica, but I don't know if there was a, well, actually there
0: probably was a Conica. Yeah. I think what you're looking at, it's, they're going to be adapters out there. They're going to be vintage adapters. Yeah. Uh, back right. in the day. It, it's just finding it, the
2: things. Exactly, Simon. Cause that, that's what I have for the Minolta. It's a, it's a vintage exacta Minolta adapter. Fact, so. I can,
0: I can remember uh, Cheyenne did, did some searching for me uh, last time I mentioned this and uh, he managed to find an adapter to Yashica, but it turned out, of all things, it was the the later uh, autofocus mount of, of Yashica. You could get, you found an adapter for that, what? which you think, well, nobody, nobody would ever. Why would anybody even make such an adapter? <laughs> and you can, uh-huh. and, and yes, you can go out and find one of those for a camera that nobody ever bought, uh, but finding one for something that was relatively popular, uh, no joy at all. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't have any of those cameras, so. I guess I have to shoot it on an exact, uh VX.
0: I mean, you can you, you can put it onto a, a Canon a Canon EOS camera, of course. I mean, I imagine you, it's a bit easier to find an adapter for one of those. Oh, can you? I would, I would say, oh, don't see why not. I mean, you can put M42 onto onto Canon easily. So if you can, I mean, to and M42 are quite similar. So there's no reason why you 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 couldn't do that. I mean, certainly if you can get it onto Minolta, you can get it onto Canon.
1: Uh, Canon. Okay, ES. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just where, again, it's just whether or not the adapters are out there, really.
1: Yeah, okay, okay. That makes sense. Because, I mean, it, it to me, it wouldn't make sense to use this on something like an RE Super because um, the Topcon camera will just swallow this thing because it's so small and that camera is so big. Mm.
0: So, yeah. It's probably better than using it on an Exacto though.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no here here's what you need to do and I, I realized when we were talking about this um uh yesterday so yeah i mean i have an exact i could put it on but you know what fun is that <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly uh,
2: but 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 what is fun is the little exa ca- cameras so the little mini exact is the e- exa quite cool are oh. really cool because they have like that big beautiful exactive viewfinder and then they have like a little stick shift for the speeds and they're yeah. tiny and I'm going to like I'm seriously going to get one now just to shoot this lens. They, right and I was going to say they're, they're in that category of so, so so crap they're great aren't they? Yeah yeah they kind of are actually and I mean I guess if you can find a working one that's going to be the trick but um but they're out there
1: so I've got and it. they don't have the bizarre handling of the exacta VX that I have, right?
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, they're much more sort of normal. So there's one at the shop that's been around for ages, and I'm just gonna get it. <laughs> I'm just gonna get it now. <laughs> you're just restricted. you restricted on your shutter speed, on aren't you? I think. I think. That's, that's yeah, I think it, I think it's like 250, maybe.
0: Yeah, ah, that's fine. Yeah, there were, I think there yeah. Were, there's a there's a 500 as well, isn't it? Which is not the same as that one with the with the with the daft uh, it's like a stick shift camera. Um, <laughs> basically, what you're talking about there, isn't it? Um, yeah. This one, there's a similar kind of shape, and I think it goes up to 500. I think, and they got so yeah, it might like go a, to 500. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't have a well. Some of these don't have a a conventional shutter on them, do they? Either they, they, it's some it's like a rocker system that it, it sort of yeah, you when out you, of the way, doesn't it? It's
2: really weird. It is. So basically you wind it up, right? And you lift the mirror. And the mirror it's um you know what it's like? It's like the uh, um uh, the uh, the, uh, the the I'm glad you describe this. <laughs> not the Contessa, the um uh, what am I what am I talking about? The uh, Oh crap. Who makes the Contesta? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, That's
1: a Zeiss Zeiss icon, right? No, it's... Zeiss icon? Yeah.
2: Contesta? The the, uh, Coniflex. The Coniflex. Where it's got that...
0: Still Zeiss.
1: Still (laughs) Zeiss.
2: Yeah. Right. Where it's got that weird rolling, like, uh, mirror thing going on. It's the same sort of idea. Yeah, it's the same sort of idea. So, yes, it's got a very strange... Like, the mirror and the shutter are... The same unit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Actually, quite like yeah. right, the sound it makes as well. It does make a nice sound. Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, do I you guess. have one there, Simon? Not, not with me, unfortunately. I've, oh, okay.
1: I do know where there is one, but it's not here. Okay. Uh, all right. No- Novak has recently purchased one of these, right?
2: Yes, he Absolutely. has. We had a conversation. I had a conversation with him about that, and
1: it's just the cutest little camera. Is it smaller than the Ver? Uh, the oh Vari- yeah, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, M- like and much smaller. okay. <laughs> yeah. and is
1: the um, is the viewfinder any good? The
2: viewfinder, that's the thing. It's basically got the same viewfinder, which I think exacta viewfinders are amazing. They're really they're really br- I mean, they're not super amazing for, I don't think, for critical focus because everything uh-huh. pretty much looks in focus, but they're really bright. They're just big and bright and be- so, and really beautiful.
1: So is the viewfinder piece interchangeable, because I have the prism and the waist level for the my exacta.
2: Uh I don't know if it's interchangeable on in the X's or not. But it's the same kind of style, right? It's the same style. Yeah. Okay. It's, so so it's it that. you know, it's basically a waist level find. I'm sure you probably there are eye-level versions, but it's usually you see them, it's got like a it's a basically a waist level finder, which is again part of the attraction why I want to shoot one now. Is you know, this lens on that camera would be awesome. Well, just the yeah. same way as I want to put that
0: seventy-five one point five on it now, it just be just stupid. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah right exactly, exactly that would swallow it up in the other direction yeah cool alright we're all going to start shooting as this week then jeez <laughs> so um, any, anything else on, on this this lens or uh, the coincidence of serial numbers shall we move on
2: oh I I don't know I mean it just that's yeah it's pretty crazy <laughs> that's <laughs> all I can say is it's I, I, I try to think um, if that's ever come up Before in any of the groups I've been in, or I'm trying to remember the last time I saw something like this happen, where two people had sequential lens numbers, and I can't really think of an example.
1: So, uh, yeah, at least not for anything that was made in like more than a batch of a couple hundred.
2: Yeah, right. And I mean, the the, and this is this lens. So I was looking at uh, Cheyenne's did his big Exacta thing about the zenon and i it's not it's not listed there and i know they talk about the exact zenons from like the uh 36 37 somewhere in that age range and i'm just assuming this lens is that it vintage it's certainly pre-war yeah Um, it has
1: yes it has um i think it's a 19 i looked this up 1930 i want to see 38
2: okay yeah Um, that makes sense
1: but it has more blades than the other ones too. Because the nice thing about these little exacto lenses, like the fifty-eight f two biotar I have, the uh, black one, that's the seventeen yeah. blade version. And this has yeah. a beautiful fifteen blades inside, which I just love turning and unturning and watching them. You know, <laughs> right, right, totally. Here in all of their new, their high numberedness.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's it's.
2: Oh. Well, congratulations! So, so obviously this means we need to post. Photos of our sequentially numbered uh, lenses. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. you so, got to post your bokeh shots as well.
2: <laughs> okay, I can I can repost my bokeh shots. I really do want to find that one shot I'm talking about with the uh, the the flowers because it's it. I mean the color. I, I, it's still one of my favorite shots I've ever shot of that style with a lens like this, like a bokeh ty- type of shot. Because um, I couldn't believe it when I saw the colors. It just, just really crazy. So I'll have to track it down. It's I've got it somewhere.
1: Sweet. Yeah. All right. In the time being, I'm just going to shoot it on my Sony until I can find a nice EXA. Right. All right, uh, moving on then um, to photography. Uh, As I mentioned, we had really great light all week. And one thing that I I mentioned a couple episodes ago is I'm trying to figure out how to capture the emptiness and the economic impact of the coronavirus. And, you know, it's a little weird going out and shooting streets with no people in them because that doesn't look too unusual. So I did get a pretty good idea the other day uh, to go and shoot the airport in the middle of the day when we had some really, really nice lights. So this was a little bit of a, I had to plan it out a little bit because the airport is still under lockdown from the protests. So you can't go inside the terminal unless you have a ticket or your crew or staff or something. So basically what I did was I bought a ticket uh, for a flight. I don't even remember where, say probably Singapore or something. Um, And I canceled it right away. So I didn't pay any money, but I did get the boarding pass. Um, I I don't know if I should be saying this. Is this legal? (laughs) I
2: was going (laughs) to (laughs) say.
1: Whatever. Um, So I got into the airport uh, around 10.30 a.m. And normally, you know, around 10 to uh, shortly after lunchtime is the busiest time of day. And it was a ghost town. The only people around were staff and like a handful of travelers who were either probably in transit trying to escape somewhere or you know stuck for some reason and so i i had just a whale of a time shooting a really surreal scene because you know hong kong airport is one of the busiest airports in the world and it was just dead i I brought three cameras with me um i brought my x-pan because i thought the pano format would work really well and it did uh i brought my agfa record three uh for some medium format six by nine goodness and um inspired by our little chat with Anil, because i went the day after our last episode uh, i brought my Rico gr2 which i ended up shooting most of my images with um yeah so i'm really happy with how the images turned out but they're just they emanate a creepiness that i can't recall yeah <laughs> um in any of my other shots you know I've, I've gone to like abandoned villages in hong kong with mike epstein to shoot but even those shots didn't have the the kind of sense of eeriness of seeing um, seeing the airport empty. And, and these are the kinds of images I wanted because, you know, empty streets don't resonate with people who don't, like, if you can't pick up the context right away, they don't have the same resonance. Right. But I think no matter where you are, you can resonate with an airport of that size and that modernity, just completely devoid of passengers because you can still see, if you look closely, all of the check-in staff wearing their masks sitting at the counter so all the counters are still staffed there's just no passengers that 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 was a kind of surreal photographic triumph and i I felt pretty good about it because no one else was there shooting it because you know if you're not pressed you can't really get into the airport yeah (laughs) there was one moment because i was shooting a a bunch of the staff and i was looking for you know the most empty looking check-in aisles there was one moment where i was standing in front of um you know those flat escalators those travelators And I was taking photos of my ex-pan of just how empty this thing was. And then one dude started, came from the kind of parking lot area and started coming up the travelator. And he was wearing uh, a hoodie and sweatpants, um, the kind of thing that you would wear in getting on a flight. And then, you know, wearing a mask, of course. And he was like literally the only passenger coming from that direction. So I took my ag for record. I pre-focused and I literally stood in front of him, at the end of uh, <laughs> the travelator, as he was coming up, and and took you know the one photo that I could in in the time, and he he just he looked at me, and it wasn't even disdain; it was just almost a look of everything here is so surreal that some dude with a, <laughs> with camera, really with a yeah with a red <laughs> bellows standing in front of me taking this picture not out of the ordinary. We're like hundred percent in the twilight zone now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I you know it's funny you say that because I saw that photo when you posted. it. I was like, so there's only you and this one other dude in the entire airport,
1: yeah. and I was kind of wondering about the logistics of that shot too. It was funny. Yeah, I just literally went and stood right in front of him, and that camera, the, the Agfa record that I have, is not subtle, right? It's a six by nine right. folding camera, right? Um, so it already catches the eye, and then and then Jürgen Serto Six, who I bought it from, replaced the bellows with a bright red bellows. <laughs> <laughs> so You just can't miss it, though. It oh, wow. yeah. uh,
2: That's excellent.
1: <laughs> there we go. It was also really refreshing shooting the Ricoh GR because um, that thing is silent and stealthy. And oh, I, I really wish I had a film camera. I could shoot the way that I shoot that thing. Uh, you know, Anna was describing it last week on the show. And I don't really I, I don't shoot from the hip that much with it. I don't try to be super stealthy with it but no one notices. Um, And so you can very quickly move it up, down, left, right, you know, position it where you want. Um, Click the shot. The shutter is totally silent. And, you know, I've tried shooting that way with uh, some of my film cameras, but every time I shoot this GR, I just think, man, I want to get a film Ricoh GR so bad.
0: I actually Uh, think you you need another digital camera. um, And that's a Agfa ePhoto 780. (laughs) so
1: mm. well, Expl- explain yourself
0: well that's 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 the camera i i currently have um that i'm now carrying around with me um and it it, it looks like uh one of the the last evolutions of a, of a compact film camera uh that hasn't been miniaturized like the like the mu cameras and things like that um and i just think it just looks so cool um, it was just something that I I picked up in a, in a job lot of cameras and I looked at it and it just, it just grabbed my attention. Uh, because it, it's, it's got a really cool shape. It's sort of slightly banana shaped at the front of it. Um, <laughs> like scalloped. Um, and, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a old digital camera. Um, and I was trying to find out when this actually came out. Uh, I can't find a date. Um, but, it's a, I think it's a 0.8 megapixel camera. Um, so that gives you a bit of an idea. It's goes back a little bit, um, but it's, but it's got a, a sliding door over the, over the, over the front, uh, over the lens, uh, which I like, because that's, that's like really cool. Um, and uh, the, what, what I particularly like about it is it's not autofocus and it's not focus free. It's, you know, it's a scale focused, digital compact camera you know so you have your your flower for your close-ups you've got like a a portrait and then you've got a um i think it's got about three people which i assume would also include mountains if you want to so you you i assume you just stick it in the middle setting and 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 be done with it um but it, it just it just it feels good um it takes it takes a while for it to actually Get to the point why, where you can actually take a photograph. You switch it on, and, and there's like a green light that flickers, and you won't let you do anything until it stops flickering. It's as if like <laughs> it's, it's booting up. It's like, you know, booting windows up or something like that. You know, startup time is, I mean, I, I get the feeling like you don't seem to see this that often now. People don't talk about startup time of digital cameras anymore. Um, but right, I'm sure. It's because of cameras like this that startup time <laughs> is actually something that was once discussed.
2: That's right. I I forgot all about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. That used to be like startup time. Used to be
1: a thing. It was a every, thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's true. oh, that's oh true. man, I've just got the specs. Yeah, when I said it was like 0.8 megapixel. Yeah, yeah,
1: I'm looking at specs as well. This thing has one star rating on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, but that 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 0.8 megapixel is interpolated, um, so it's actually a 0.35 megapixel camera. Yeah,
1: wow. Yeah, I'm wow. looking at some sample pictures, and they look like they were taken off like the first generation smartphones that. Had cameras in them.
0: Yeah. Now, now the thing is, what I, you know, I, I, I knew this thing's got a, you know, it's it's very low res and so on. But I was thinking to myself, is this an answer? Uh, is it is it a true um, digital to Tri-X instant Tri-X uh, camera? Uh, no. So I'm literally I'm going to get low quality JPEGs out. There's no raw function, and I'm just going to turn the thing black and white. And push it, and just and just see what what it what it does. So I'm, I'm really excited about. It. I'm genuinely excited that this is this is going to be so bad.
1: It, it's going to look like great film. Do you, <laughs> Simon, do you have a stash of like? old digital cameras that you're trying to drum up hype for (laughs) before you put them on eBay? (laughs) Well,
0: well, one thing I've learned is whenever I I try to sell anything that I've got in stock on there by talking about on this show, it doesn't sell. Um, Things I might be wanting to go out and buy, they disappear very quickly. Um, But things that I'm trying to sell don't. So I've not bothered to try and sell it. Although I do have a, uh, this, this came in at the same time as a Minolta. uh, Is it Dimage or Dimage? um, V or five, I assume it's a five and it's, and it's a sort of, it's a digital camera that has a swiveling, um, uh, almost like selfie kind of view cam sort of video thing that you can face backwards on yourself, but you can actually disconnect the thing as well. Um, which sounds a little bit like, uh, that thing that Anna was uh, talking about last week. So I, I don't know if I'll actually still take a photograph with it disconnected, but it's it's a really weird little thing. So I, I need to have a go with this. But I'm not anywhere near as um, uh, motivated to use it because it just looks like a camera that... It's digi- it's clearly a digital camera, and it's clearly made to look like it's this definitely isn't a film camera because look at what it does. Um, and that in itself doesn't really appeal to me, whereas this other thing just, just looks... Yeah, really special it fits fits well in the hand you know it's got a good grip on it and um, yeah so i think it's going to be i think it's going to be great
1: so i'm not i'm not i'm not really convinced that this is a replacement for a Ricoh gr uh, but i am reading some of the uh, the features of this camera and some of the comments and they they are riveting and they're it's a really good sell resolutions up to 1,024 by 768 pixels. <laughs> Virtually no waiting between pictures. <laughs> between pictures. View pictures on a television. Download, wow. photos, download photos to your computer. Agfa PhotoWise software included. But then there's a comment that says, I have to use it with an old computer because it's no longer supported by Windows XP and beyond.
0: <laughs> it probably comes on a floppy disk as well, I imagine.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. I've And I, I I have actually taken a few photos on it, but I'm struggling to find where my card reader is because uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it uses smart media cards. So uh, not many card readers these Sm- days have that ability, but I have one smart- somewhere, so I can do it.
1: Wow. What is a smart media card?
0: They have... There are, it's it's a it's a very slim.
2: Uh, yeah, it's card, it's like it? a, a super mini floppy disk almost.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it looks a little bit like a like a sim card in a way because it's it's got that um, you know like the contacts on the sim card. Uh, it's got yeah. it's got those on it, but it's it's a it's much thinner than a sim card, but it's also bigger. It's probably like the size of uh, the combined size of say three postage stamps or something like that, or one and a half postage stamps. Something, that 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 kind of size bit like an sd card it's probably like the forerunner to an sd card but it's a little bit it's 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 larger than an sd card and slimmer
1: i think i completely missed the era when these were a thing because i remember floppy disks and i remember like you know obviously compact flashes not that uh long ago but i've never <laughs> seen one of these things in my life a smart media <laughs> card i
0: came i came across a, a sony camera the other day that had, that had a is it memory stick pro that,
1: that was, oh, I remember those because the old yeah. PlayStation used them. Yeah, ah, there you go, there you go.
0: that was the first time I come across actually one of those in the in the camera. All right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing your photos with this camera with a classic lens on it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I, okay. I, put, I put you off talking about your GR there, didn't I? Uh,
1: no, I think I think I'm good with that conversation. Unless you unless you guys have ideas of a way to shoot film like a Rikyo GR, and definitely this thing is not the answer. Although i got to say, I've never seen a camera that looks like this Agfa e-photo thing that you're talking about. It's It's bizarre. It's not the word I would use to describe it. I'm trying to think what it reminds me of, you know? Um, And there's nothing, there's nothing I can think of that looks like this. It looks like some kind of weird cartoon, you know, something that a cartoon character would use to do things that only happen in cartoons, you know, like scan a door <laughs> in a futuristic spaceship where they're hunting for like alien life or something. It, it doesn't look right
0: it's it's also worth noting it's, it's actually available in other brands as well so and this really disappointed me you, know, you can get this kodak version and then there's some uh just really generic versions as well so it's it's a i, I don't know who came up with the design but to me it looks like it belongs as it looks like it is an agfa uh like the late uh compact cameras i mean it's even got like the the orangey red shutter button on it as well which makes those those old agfa cameras really cool
2: yeah, that was their thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> All right. So I'm going to move us on from this, uh, this E Photo 7, 7, whatever, 780. Um, and I, the last thing I've been up to, I mean, I got a couple of new rangefinder lenses that finally came. They were in the mail for months, but I'm not going to talk about those because I haven't really had a chance to shoot them yet. Uh, but I did go out shooting the other day with my M six and the new context G 35, uh, planar. And ooh, boy, that lens is nice. Um, I was out shooting with my girlfriend. We had some wonderful light. She was shooting my Simicron. So I had to use this and, you know, I slapped a yellow filter on it and I shot a roll of RPX 400 and a roll of tri X number one, after I saw the negative side by side, as much as I love RPX 400, and I do think I like it more than Tri-X in 120. Side by side, the Tri-X and eggs were noticeably nicer. So after that, I went and bought a crap ton of Tri-X because a, <laughs> a little bit of curl is not going to stop stop me from shooting that stuff. It's so nice. Awesome. Um, and, and on a related note to that, uh, a couple people here in Hong Kong... Um, Mike Epstein, uh, there's another guy in our group, Bob Fung, who's posted some pictures with this combo, as well as Vishal from Camera Film Photo. They swear by developing trix and Burr Speed. What? Which... In what, sorry? Burr Speed. Developer. It's a, de- it's yeah. a developer. Bird,
0: bird's feet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Burr Speed. Uh, B-E-R and then Speed. It's a really expensive developer. Um, but apparently it looks really good with Triax, and the results I've seen do look really, really gorgeous. I- I've never tried it because, I mean, it's it costs like many, many, many times more than than my trusty HC110 does. Uh, <laughs> but it, but it, yeah, it does look really nice. I have gas for that developer that Mike Novak has been using though. FA FA, uh, and then some number. <laughs> 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 What? I can't remember the number. It's four digit. FA uh let me let me look it up so I don't sound like an idiot. It no it de back. it deborifies
0: uh HP five, if I'm if I'm correct.
1: No, the stuff the results are phenomenal. Um that he's been posting. FA one oh two seven. And right. uh the technical sheet for this film is awesome because it basically disses D seventy six. Um <laughs> <laughs> and says, just because something is the most popular developer doesn't mean it's any good. Like, oh yeah, where most...
2: was I reading? Did he post that? That was no, hilarious.
1: I, I, I copied and you... pasted it into our chat. Okay, yeah, it that was great. Yeah, that was from the technical uh, technical sheet for the developer, the official PDF. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, the so yes, trix is still awesome. I'm going to keep shooting it. That contacts G lens. Uh, it's super good. That's all. That's all I really have to say. <laughs> it's noticeably, um, it's got, like it's noticeably Zeiss-like in its rendering. But the thing I can't quite get over is like the the middle kind of eighty percent of the frame looks wonderful and Zeissy, and then the outer kind of fifteen percent just drops off like crazy. The field curvature <laughs> is so extreme um, that I, I got this one shot of a dude walking sort of down into a subway and his shadow is sort of cast on the wall but in in the background of that image because I think I shot it at like f4 in the background of that image there's trees in the distance and the trees that are kind of in the middle top of the frame they're obviously blurred out they're they're slightly bokeh but the exact same tree the part of it that's on the edge is sharp and in focus and that is a good you know 30 40 meters away man it's do the other context G lenses do that, or is it just this one? Well, the, uh, I, I don't
0: know. but uh, all I can say is the as we've touched on before, the, the, the 35 is 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 has the weakest reputation amongst the, the, the G lenses, and perhaps that's where that's coming from.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it it, it it's borne out in the MTF chart because there's a massive, massive fall-off on the edges, and you can really, really see it. Um once you're at like f5.6, f8, you don't really notice it anymore, but it's <laughs> uh it's just weird because usually lenses that do that they're not that sharp or not that good overall but this lens is really 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 gorgeous it just it almost feels like it was made for a smaller image circle you know because the edges are just yeah they're just not good hmm. so that has been uh that's been my week a lot of stuff going on okay. yeah
0: well let's let's head over to chicago what you've
2: been up to johnny um, I'm just still spazzing about this lens thing. <laughs>
1: serial number. <laughs> this lens
2: serial number thing. Um, uh, and I've been I've been trying in the background to find a little bit more information about the Zenon, and, and there's just a lot of vague references for it coming out in nineteen thirty seven slash thirty-eight. Um, but one thing I did find poking around is I found your lens posted on uh Picklick, PickClick. There's really? a, yeah, there's a record of it having been sold. Hold on, I'll pull, pull it up. I'm trying to drop it in Messenger, but Messenger is being really weird. Like it's not working. Um, it looks like somebody bought it. Hold on a second. Uh, in, it was posted. There's a picture with your number, 223, right?
1: 223?
2: Yeah, 2601223. Yeah. yeah, so there's a picture of the lens and it says, location, New York, ships worldwide. This is the date on this is uh, the sale is 2015, I think. No, 2017. Um, seller, the observer. Uh, anyway, there's a picture of it. So, you know, it's so- possible that yours
0: and uh, Perry's serial numbers are the only ones they bother to use.
2: <laughs> We're like the stock photo serial numbers. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, how about that? That's just uh, kind of kind of bizarre. Uh, Is that one? Um, oh, I found it. Yeah, that's the in, that's the lens on its own. So it must have yeah. when it got to Hong Kong, the person who bought it must have put it in the bizarre. Yeah. Uh, you know the the helicoid housing that I got it in.
2: Yeah, I think it says here focusing is s- smooth, a bit stiff. So, yeah, somebody must have just rehoused it. You know what? Maybe they just rehoused it because they couldn't figure out the exact amount. So they figured, oh, we'll just put it in this helicoid and be done with it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's also very possible. Yeah.
2: You know, because it if somebody wasn't familiar with the mount, they might not have.
1: I don't know. Just didn't figure out what it was or something. Yeah, this is definitely the exact same lens. It's got a little bit of scarring on the front faceplate. Yeah, face plate.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah.
1: That's the one. Wow, so this has been to New York and then back over here to Hong Kong.
2: Yeah, and so the only other the only other um uh reference I found is that possibly these were made for the US market. So maybe it maybe that whole thing about it was here and it was in new york and then went to hong kong makes sense that because i mean there were things like that right where they marketed certain cameras and uh, lens lines to different regions and you know the u.s was a market that sometimes you see things show up in that were sort of a particular camera or whatever so maybe that maybe there's some truth in that maybe it was a kind of a u.s market sort of thing yeah, I'm just still kind of mind-blown on that. Anyway, um, uh, no, I, I got to shoot a little bit, very little bit this week. It was sunny yesterday. Um, it's a little bit sunny right now. I don't think that's going to hold. <laughs> uh, so maybe I'll get a chance to to shoot a little bit more today. I'm not super hopeful, but we'll see. Other than that... Um, uh I've been working on a couple of things that I'm I'm trying to do on on this end here camera wise one of which is I have the leather to reskin my uh my uh Roli, uh 35 which is the Voigtlander Bessa with Rolly's name on it. Mm-hmm. So I have I have the the kit to reskin it which is only 3 pieces of which I'm only going to use two because I'm not going to take the piece off the back cover. Yeah. Um where the little, you know, the bump is, but I ordered a, uh, leather kit for the Bessa R2 uh-huh. and the, the Roly. it's slightly different because the rollies grip is a little bit differently shaped. Yeah. So I'm going to have to like custom trim these pieces to fit on the rollie, <laughs> which I have the pieces off the Roly. So it shouldn't be an impossible task. Um, I just don't want to screw it up, but I guess I'll just order another set if I screw it up. So anyway, that's on my my list for this weekend is to to finish reskinning the Roly. Um, but I have to clean all the uh, the gunk off of the uh, mm-hmm. camera first, which I I you know I was like looking around and surprisingly didn't find a lot of like information saying oh yeah use this to clean the old glue off. And I mean I've kind of just figured it's at this point I'm just going to use like you know alcohol or whatever.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's old. Um, sort of sticky glue and not like the, the stuff that's under like a leatherette, right? Where you have yeah, to just scrape yeah. it off. Right. Yeah. A bit of, right. rub, bit of alcohol on a Q-tip should get you going there. Nice. Nice.
2: Yeah. Good. So that's what I'm going to do. That's kind of my, my, uh, my project maybe for later today is that we really like to get the Rolly reskinned?
1: Well, you were going to use the old rubber bits from the Rolly as a guide for cutting the new skin
2: yeah well, I mean they're like the the skins that I have they're just um there's a little bit the rolly pieces are a little bit smaller, yes, so so I was gonna just use them and trace out where I need to cut them off
1: uh, so, so that they're the right size so because they're a little bit rounded and squishy, that's not gonna be very precise right?
2: well, yeah, and uh, so that yeah, exactly here's so, what you should do instead okay,
1: you should just take a piece of paper. Uh-huh. Or, or kind of like a thin but firm card, yeah, and use that to trace the, uh, on the, um, like the the gap that the leatherette would stick to on the camera. Okay,
2: yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and then cut that and use that as the guide for cutting the new stuff. Don't use the old rubbery grip because that's gonna it's it's gonna be impossible to trace that in a non ugly way.
2: Yeah. So I, what I was gonna do is kind of like trace the outline of it, but then make a cleaner edge like before i cut it but i like i like your idea i saw another thing online where um somebody said to use uh just like clear tape and you build up several layers of clear tape and then you kind of cut the clear tape you know to match the outlines where it should go and then you can use that like bit that chunk of clear tape as a as a template basically, which,
1: Oh yeah, that, also, that would work too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It kind of, I, but I don't have any clear tape. So, you know, I don't, you don't tape have tape. Things. I don't have tape. I don't tape things. I don't have anything to tape. That's crazy. I have so much
1: tape. <laughs> I'll send you some tape. <laughs> I'll send you toilet paper. If you send me tape, you, you, you don't need Toilet paper now, right? No, no. I got, I got bailed out by a couple of family members who okay. brought me, brought me toilet paper. Um, Mike Epstein actually brought toilet paper back from New York. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) That's that's awesome.
2: (laughs) So anyway, that's my, one of my weekend projects is I would really like to get my, uh, my, my rollie back in action Uh, just because I really want to shoot the 40 millimeter, continue shooting the 40 millimeter lens. Cause now that I've been shooting the, uh, the uh, M3, Um, I'm falling right back into the 35 thing again. Like it's just so Mm -hmm. comfortable and so easy, (laughs) but I was really liking some of the stuff I was getting with the 40 millimeter. There was like this tension when I was shooting it, like feeling like, Oh, it's just a little bit too narrow or it's just not quite wide enough, but I was actually really liking the pictures I got. So I'd like to continue uh shooting in 40 millimeter kind of on the regular to because i think it's like a you know it sometimes it seems like it's helpful to to like mix things up right just to kind of keep keep your your perceptual thing working well or whatever so it's it's i'd really like to continue um you know, on with shooting the forty millimeter because it just—I was liking what I was getting out of it's it. It's
0: like taking you taking yourself it out of your comfort zone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a little you, bit. And, yeah, you know, I, I recognize what you've just said there about it just not not being quite right. And, and I, mean, I, I mentioned this about a few weeks ago with using that in Star, uh, which I, I thoroughly uh, did not enjoy using, yet easily produced the best photos of of, of my photo walk.
2: Yeah, uh, there so,
0: you go. So, yeah, you know, sometimes it just makes you work harder.
2: Yeah, exactly, and so that and like the other thing that I I did this week is I got a bunch of photos processed and posted some on on uh, in the group and um I had oh yeah yeah and I so I one of the things I finally got developed was the shots that I did with the um 17 millimeter RMC Takina on the Pentax.
1: SLR? Wait, wait, b- before, before you talk about these pictures, yeah. because they're super cool and I definitely want to discuss them, are you going to follow up on what Simon said there? Yeah. Um, because the whole com- coming out of your comfort zone thing is, you know, I think a lot of people would listen to this conversation and, and think, with well, 40 millimeter, 35 millimeter, they're very, very similar. Um, is it really that big of a difference? But I-, I spent a bit of time last week as well shooting uh, pretty much only 28 millimeter for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's it's close-ish to 35, but it's just enough wider that there's a significant difference.
2: Yeah.
1: And I I found I really, really enjoy shooting 28 as well, and it's a different shooting experience, um, because you know, it forces me to get a little bit uh, closer to the subject. But I find that with 28, I can also kind of grab shots without framing accurately through the viewfinder. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I try to do that with 35, I invariably, like, chop someone's ear off or something like that um (laughs) so it was it was a completely different shooting experience even though on paper the focal lengths are not that different and it was really yeah it was really um it kind of keeps you on your toes you know Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i i I agree so it's a it's a it's a good thing to be it's a good thing to do to 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 keep you keep you on your toes visually um and just kind of like you know as you're walking around seeing the world. So yeah, that that's my thought is I want to, I just kind of want to keep shooting that both of these lenses in tandem because the 35 is just, it's so comfortable that it almost, you start to get like
1: lazy or something. Right. Yeah, you, you see the world in 35 and you just – it doesn't even occur to you that other focal lengths exist. I'm the right. same way. <laughs> right. It's so easy.
2: So, so anyway, I'm going to get that done today. But then I was going to – like I said, I, I posted some pictures from the um, – along the same kind of line of conversation here from the RMC Takina, the 17 millimeter. And so I shot a few rolls of film with that combo. And this is the, this is the camera that has a built-in crop panorama mode switch yeah. right so um so i was obviously shooting it in crop pano uh with the idea being i wanted to get like this you know super wide um crop panorama angle of view and i i at the time was finding it to be just like so crazy wide that it was just kind of difficult to take the scene in or whatever at 17 millimeters in panorama um it was uh, I don't know I was I felt like I wasn't sure if I was getting anything I liked and then I finally got the images processed I'm like oh I really like these so kind of the same thing where I wasn't sure if I liked it at the time shooting it but I really like the results now looking back at what I was doing um so I'd actually like to shoot that combination a bit more um because it it was it was uh it was it was fun and I actually kind of like what I was getting in retrospect
1: I think a lot of people are just really excited that you're also posting photos for the first time in ages. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally get it, right? Because our, there there's a lot of shots that I only post to our Facebook group and nowhere else. Because, yeah. um, I mean, this is an awesome group with really good people in it. So you can right. post, you know, your favorite stuff, but also just random crap.
2: Right. Um, right. <laughs> and
1: yeah, you can tell that people are like, oh my God, Johnny actually takes photos. <laughs> And
2: yeah cool. I've been pretty bad for a while I just have not been wanting to share anything <laughs> so they,
1: the results look really sweet you know the, the 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 way that you're posting these panos in groups of three looks really good on the Facebook format right
2: yeah right right it just it right because it yeah it gives you just a nice kind of triptych thing yeah, where like it, a triptych. yeah and it, it kind of zooms them in just a little bit so yeah that I mean that's part of it too is they it's just I found a way to share them Mm-hmm. You know cuz it's it's weird with pano stuff it doesn't always look right. Yeah. Um on a screen but it I kind of like the way it it does the you know if you do them in threes I do kind of like the way it looks.
1: Yeah, or if you slap them on Instagram there's often details that are missed because it's so small.
2: Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly.
1: But you know the 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 one that you one of them that you posted yesterday which is a sort of dude in a hat and then in the middle frame is uh, someone with an umbrella at a crossing. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so two things about this. Number one, the top shot and the bottom shot, are they before and after shots of the same place? Yeah.
2: Yes. They so are. the same
1: guy, right? Same guy. OK, yeah. that's super cool. I, I didn't notice that until after I was looking for a while. I was like, so then, you know, I got an image of you as a, you know, dude with a camera standing there taking this guy's photo and then waiting for him to walk past and then turning around and shooting him again. Yeah, it's totally I what I did.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, th- that's totally what I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's super cool because it's um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like sometimes I, I find it really enriches a photo when I get a sense of what the photographer is doing to take the shot. Um, you know, you've talked about like the passage of time in images, and and those two together totally did that when I realized, oh, the same guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And you know what I think I realized. Uh... I didn't realize it until I was looking through my negatives. I think I have another picture of him from, oh, a, awesome. diff- no, from a different day. And I should have put that as the third photo, but I didn't digitize. It. And I was like, yeah, but I also kind of like that there's this other weird random thing. Cause for that exact reason, like thinking about the photos in threes, um, if I had posted three photos of the, the same guy, I don't know. It, it, it threw the time scale off more mm-hmm. having a different random photo in the middle of something that wasn't related. Uh, it, it, it did for me anyway. So I was, that was my thought about putting those three together is I kind of like that there was um, the sense of the, if you had only those two photos together, they would just look like two sequential photos. But if you throw a third photo in there of a completely different, obviously, you know, time or whatever yeah, that's just like not related sunlight
1: versus an umbrella it's yeah totally it just move.
2: right so the contrast of it i thought would be
1: mm-hmm. kind of interesting um to yeah, play with that, to- that time thing so it, it totally works and the, the other thing that oh, cool. just blows my mind about the top photo is the flare <laughs> yeah. like the, you just you got the flare right in the guy's face so he can't see <laughs> i'm a, is he looking at you
2: no I don't think he was he was just he was just doing his pimp walk, strolling by and he um, he no he didn't look at me at all but I I remember see I, I forgot like I've been shooting the uh, uh, the Bessa L pan the crop panorama so much that I forgot that this was an SLR <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so and then I remembered when I started thinking about taking this shot I'm like oh yeah wait I do remember taking this shot I was sort of crouching down lower than him uh pointing up and he was the sun was you know obviously he was walking in front of the sun you don't see the sun in the frame but he was basically walking in front of the sun mm-hmm. and i remember now waiting till i saw like the like the the viewfinder was just kind of filled with sun flare and then i remember it getting dark when he started to pass in front of the frame and that's when oh. i took the shot and then obviously the SLR blacks out. So I wasn't sure exactly what I got at that moment that the shutter right. opened, but now it, it makes sense. Now thinking about it, why the flare ended up right in his face. Cause I mean, literally he was like, why he was like blocking the He was like, it was like an eclipse. <laughs> like mm-hmm. his, his head was like the moon <laughs> and it, it eclipsed the sun. And I guess it must've just caught it in at a point where there was still a little sun there. Right, and so it kind of just flared his face out, but yeah, that's really the to me, the shot's kind of so so, except for the flare. So um, you're
1: in his shadow, uh,
2: yeah, basically, or close to it. I think his shadow is just off a
1: hair. I I, I can't yeah. kind of look at it again. Well, no, it's cool because if you look at the background, um, above you know, there's an urban outfitters and a forever 21, yeah, <laughs> and and right above. Sort of to the, towards the top of those buildings, the lower part, you can see a kind of washed out flare with a sudden like hard line of contrast above it. And, and now that you describe what happens, I'm imagining that that's basically like his hat cutting off some of the massive veiling yeah. flare and almost acting like a lens hood. I think that's more or less what happened thinking about it. Cause yeah, he had that, he had that big hat
2: on and I just, I'm going to look at it real quick because here's the other thing. Like a lot of these panels that I've been shooting in Chicago, um, I I'm not really taking pictures of people. People are pretty much like pigeons to me. They're just kind of decor decoration. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really care about the people so much. (laughs) They're just kind of decorative. Um, But Uh, but it's, so I'm like taking pictures of the light really. And the, I'm just want to look and see if that light. Okay. Cause a lot of times what will happen is you'll get in the loop because it's so strongly, um, on a grid is it's like a, it's like a sun. It's like a sundial stuff. And a lot of times like you'll get really strong. Um, reflections that are not actually direct sunlight, but it's a really strong reflection uh, off the glass yeah, and I'm yeah, just, yeah yeah, so I'm just trying to see if oh man, Facebook is being really weird right now. Um, it won't load this photo, but I'm trying to see if that's actually a reflection no but that's direct sun. I was thinking maybe it was a, a really strong reflection off a building, but it's not that that is definitely direct sun. so yeah, anyway yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was fun. So, I mean, I'm like, you know, it's fun to go back. Like I took these shots over a year ago and had not processed them and hadn't really looked at them. So it's kind of fun now that I did this gigantic backlog of developing to actually make the shots. I was just, I don't know, man, I was just in a mode for a long time where I was just shooting and not really thinking about making the images into into photos if that make like developing them basically mm-hmm. like develop i mean not developing the film but de- i say developing as it like making prints right um so i i I, was, I don't know i was just not kind of feeling it for the longest time and just wanting to shoot uh so now it's kind of interesting to go back and l- remember stuff that's like a year old in some cases and try to remember what was going on i mean i actually really like doing that I, it's probably not the right way to do it. But I actually really like doing that. Um, is See, that, letting some time go by. That's really
1: strange. <laughs> <laughs> really? The, I, and uh, the letting, letting time go by before reviewing pictures, I totally get that because you, you look at them from a much more kind of objective point of view. You're not kind of in the moment of having just shot them. Yeah. But I, I, I can't shoot photos and then not want to look at them right away. Um, so, I, you know, I, I get sort of developing them and then curating them later. Yeah. But uh, I think I think I have that sort of Mike Novak affliction where I I can't be able to backlog of film. Right, so if I shoot a few rolls. I I want to develop them right away, get them scanned, and even if I don't do anything with them for a while, at least I can go through and look at them and see what I got.
2: That makes sense. I I mean it's, I I think I've talked about this before, but I'm actually I I can't, I actually am more interested in taking the photos ultimately than actually seeing them. <laughs> I just like making. I just like looking through the camera <laughs> so yeah. uh, to me it's almost an end in, uh, in and of itself without even making the images later
1: uh, i' like uh, i like that with instax i love playing with instax and make and like taking the pictures and watching watching them appear but after they're there yeah. not care anymore
2: like, yeah like, right, this, right 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 it's this like instant- no- <laughs> yeah yeah it makes sense whereas other
1: people in inst- with instax it's like the physical prod product at the end is the thing that gives them the most joy out of that medium, right? Right. <laughs> for me, once it's out, once it's done sort of appearing, I really don't care about insect.
2: <laughs> right. It's just like this immediate gratification thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh well anyway, that was my week.
2: Making photos. What are you up to, Simon? I'm very little.
0: Um, and <laughs> seeing we've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes that's probably just as well really
2: um,
0: and uh, but I think most most of my time uh, I think that's there's, there's been connected with uh, with Classic Lenses has actually been spent in our Facebook group um, that's the Classic Lenses
2: Oh yeah something fa- happened there didn't it group.
0: And, and that was uh, the, the aftermath of uh, Annals visit um, and we're currently <laughs> sitting on 182 comments <laughs> Um, <laughs> which, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking that a good way to start this off might be to go straight to one of our emails, because we're going to try and do the emails this this week. And I'm just wondering if we can jump oh, yeah. straight into Jared's yeah, sure. email, because I think that'll be a good, good place to kick this off.
2: Uh, let's see. Jared's email. Okay. And I have not seen this until now. So I have not pre-screened the emails. So this should be interesting.
1: Then you won't come into this with any confirmation bias.
2: (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So Jared says he wrote us on Thursday, February 20th subject. Simon is my hero. Exclamation point. Hey guys, I'm still trying to get through episode one Oh six. And I have to admit I'm wearied by all the Sony bashing. (laughs) Thank you, Simon for sticking up for those who find the system just fine and dandy. Uh, I'm not sure why one should hate a company that has done so much to make classic lenses a thing. Naturally, we all have our preferences. That's the great thing about having choices. But I think ongoing Sony hate has gone too far. Cheers to Simon for heroically stepping in to balance the conversation. The problem I see is that those of us who have invested real money in Sony gear are made to feel that like we made a colossal mistake uh, but that simply isn't true. If one doesn't like something, one sells it, just like Carl. At the end of the day, if a camera system uh, can meet the needs for many photographers to enjoy classic lenses, why not at least celebrate that? Uh, still, a loyal listener who proudly shoots his uh, classic lenses on his Sony a7 III and his Minolta SLRs and Canon SLRs and Contax 3A rangefinder... And anything else that I can get my hands on, lol, smiley face, Jared. Yes, and that that, that pretty much sums up the the the, the
0: comments um, <laughs> from uh, from from last week's show, um, <laughs> and and it was it just it, it just carried on. Uh, the show just never really finished, uh, <laughs> and and just a few observations actually about that show. I mean, there was, there was a bit where I mean, Anna asked the question, "Should I get this?" Uh, Fuji, or shall I get a Sony? Quite clearly, not wanting to get a Sony. I mean, it was so obvious. <laughs> he just wanted justification. Why should I get myself another Fuji? And please tell me that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. It was, whenever I would say something good about Sony, it was, it was, and was like almost like the first one to rubbish it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, it felt like an ambush. And, um, and it, it's, it's, the, and one of the other things that came out of this is like, you know, other digital cameras are available to shoot classic lenses as well, which they are. Um, It's just that uh, it was just, you know, having three Fuji fanboys in there and uh, bashing Sony, I just felt like I had to stand up for Sony. Um, But, uh, but yeah, there, there's, I mean, there is the new uh, Canon RF system, uh, which I hate because they're using RF in its name, which is just really messing searches up on, uh, on eBay and on, 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 google and things like that so that was that that, that's made me anti-canon as a result of that um and the the nikon z cameras or z cameras um i know that they are um generation one cameras uh, but really those those things where it's perhaps a little bit half-baked and they've been bringing out new firmware for it so it, it does certain things better and eye focus and uh, det- I detect focus and stuff like that. If you're like many people listening to this podcast, you don't care about those things. It's just about mm-hmm. how well does that camera work with a classic lens, uh, which means you know, has it got a good EVF? Um, is it is it decent with wide-angle lenses, which are, which the the Nikon Z cameras are allegedly are. Um, and you know g- can you get access to the to the things that you might wish to use with that camera with a with a classic lens you know 99% of the things that have come after the a7 r2 i don't care about um in fact i've mentioned it before the mark 3 i don't like it at all um i think they've uh, they've really messed up the grip design and they made it better on the uh, on the mark 4 which is which which is which is good news um but yeah, it's as as Gerald was saying. If you're if you're happy with the digital camera system that you're adapting your lenses to, then then that, that's absolutely great. But one of the things that I particularly enjoyed uh, with with what happened in our Facebook group this week, and just to make that distinction, there are two Facebook groups that we're associated with, if if you like, and that's the one that we originally came out of, and that's photography with classic lenses, so the juggernaut of a um, of a uh, a Facebook group with th- many thousands of members, and then there's this little uh, group called Classic Lenses Podcast, where um, it's it's more related to the things that we talk about on the podcast. But there's a there's a difference in uh attitude between those two groups and oh yeah and i think that Uh, yeah yeah and that that attitude (laughs) really comes through in in the conversation because i think if it had been and i'm not saying not saying that this would have happened specifically in photography with classic lenses but in any any number of large photographic groups if you have a discussion where you're pitting two cameras against each other uh things can get pretty rough very very quickly and you get mm-hmm. to the point where you just switch off. I'm not being involved in this because just everybody's just been a complete numpty, uh, and that just didn't happen. You know, so there's 182 comments or so in in our group, and it's all good natured. It everybody knows where they're coming from. There, there are some things in there that you could read on face value, which are you know clo- close to being insults, and they are, they're not. It's just pure banter because the people that regularly post in there know know where everybody's coming from so so there is that level of respect and
1: i think the only two people who were actively trolling were you two trolling each other
2: do <laughs> you, you yeah. think
0: yeah. we may we, we may be taking each other on quite 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 hard
2: there. oh maybe yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah. so Johnny, johnny's confirmation bias and everything that he does, like, you know, the fuji fanboy and so on I,
2: I i just want to say i want to take slight issue with uh <laughs> with with the with the thought that somehow sony is this uh much maligned uh and unpopular not a, not a real camera company. Yeah, that seeing anyway. as how the Photography with Classic Lenses group that spawned the Classic Lenses podcast, I like to call Photography with Classic Lenses on Sony mirrorless cameras. Because if you post anything on there that's not on a Sony camera, somebody will ask you why you've done that. Because don't you know, it doesn't work if you don't post it on a full-frame camera <laughs> as it was intended to be used by God when he created cameras. <laughs> so I, I take a little bit of exception, to not exception, I, th- I find it a little bit funny that somehow there's this great uh, uh, Sony bashing thing going on when Sony has clearly taken over the world of of mirrorless cameras. And I just also would like to point out one, you know, I think I get, I don't know, I'm still not sure why I get labeled as being a Sony basher because <laughs> I think the one thing I said up in that conversation when the Nikon stuff came up was I do not understand why anyone who has a hard on for full frame mirrorless would buy anything other than a Sony. And I mean that yeah. I don't, I mean, unless you're going to get a, a Leica, which is a different story altogether. Mm-hmm. It's just the not camera. even the same thing. Right. I don't understand why uh, there to me, there is not even daylight between why you would think about buying a Nikon or a Canon versus a Sony. I mean, I I think you'd have to be a complete ass to buy either one of those and not a Sony at this point, because both of those products are basically brand new. There's no lenses for them. It doesn't make any sense. They are so far behind the curve. I mean, you can try to be charitable and talk about the great features they're putting in them and all this. They are so far behind the curve on Sony when it comes to mirrorless right now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, Nikon will go and announce this new great camera that's coming out and that's going to have these features, and Sony will be like, "Oh yeah, we got that," and they'll just drop a camera that outspecs the announcement. <laughs> like they'll drop a live camera that outspecs the announcement that Nikon has made about this upcoming camera that it will what it will have they're just going they're just destroying everyone in full frame mirrorless so i if i had to buy a camera there's no way i would buy anything but a Sony at this point point. Yeah.
1: and you know i think in the episode last week with Anil, um i'm probably guilty of the the most passionate anti Sony rant um <laughs> but but contrary to what, you know, Jared said, it's not because I think people who invested in Sony gear made a colossal mistake. It's because I totally agree with Johnny where I think Sony is really the only uh, player in the game, especially when you think of bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, I have an a7R two, and and I use it for adapting lenses. And it is by far and away the best value for Bunny system and just the best system, period. Yeah. um for adapting lenses unless you're going to get a Leica or a GFx right and so the reason i rant at sony is because the camera is so damn good and the user experience is to me so much less satisfying than using a fuji right so if right. you gave you me go. everything that this sony does but you just stick it in a fuji chassis set chassis it would be the perfect camera for me like the perfect camera um, and so it's almost like, it's like the tragedy of Canada, you know, what could have been, right? We could have had British British culture, American productivity, and French cooking. We ended up with uh, American culture, British cooking, and French productivity. Right? It's that, <laughs> that whole shebang. Because, you know, I, I, I like my Sony. As much as I diss it, I it's my go-to digital camera for adapting and it does it better than any other camera out there. And I pay so much less for an A7R two than I would for one of the new Nikon on Canons because yeah. why would you do that? Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's the only real choice, uh, I think, as well. Also, yeah. it's pretty funny how only digital cameras uh, trigger this degree of fanboyism. Right. <laughs> because in the world of film cameras, it's like oh, I, I have a Leica. Oh, I have a Contax. Oh, I have a whatever. And the answer is always, yeah, they're all awesome. by all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> with, with a few exceptions, but. <laughs>
0: I, th- I think if you re- re- round, rewind the clock a little bit to when the, the Nikon F system was, was the top one and the, it was against the FDs and stuff like that, then I'm, I'm pretty sure if the internet had been around, those those conversations would have been absolutely identical.
1: yeah i mean dp review is really guilty of fueling a lot of it right so that wasn't around in the film era
2: it's still out there with i like to call it the um the old school uh camera incel crowd um they're there's there's they're still arguing a lot of the old the old timers are still arguing about canon versus nikon i mean the nikon people are the nikon people have a an air of superiority still to this day, I think. Um, And not, not entirely undeserved (laughs) because I think FD is kind of (laughs) shit, but, 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 you know, that's kind of out there, but you're, I think you're, I think Simon's kind of right. I mean, had there been the ability to have instantaneous uh, fanboy wars at the time, they probably would have been going on. Um, and they go on a little bit now, but it, it, but but Perry's right as well. Is that it? Just it's just kind of not really a thing <laughs> because this stuff is so old at this point, and a lot of people have both systems or, you know what I mean? It's, I don't know. It's a little bit different equation. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to round, round this, this, this conversation up because
0: it seems like the way I started off has just being completely ignored. Um, and that's, <laughs> and that's regarding the, 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 new Canon and Nikon mirrorless cameras being gener- generation one. And if you are like many people and, and certainly if you're like me, where I do not own a Sony autofocus lens and nor do i want one um those features that are half baked and just aren't quite right there with these generation one cameras it doesn't matter if they actually work well with in the way that you want them to work with a with a adapted lens and i i suspect they absolutely would do i mean today i would probably yeah, you know, well, I've still not actually tried one, but I would probably go with the Z6 over over a, a Sony if it was if I was in that position purely because I know that the sensor works better with wide-angle LTM lenses than than Sony's do. Um, yeah. Then that's a good enough reason for it. So, you know, for our little niche of the world, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, Yeah, Sony, Sony's are great, but there are other things out there that are are good and and also although i'm i've got i've got to say i'm a huge advocate of using full frame lenses uh, sorry full frame camera digital camera with full frame lenses um that's that's a strongly held view that i have and i've come from a crop sensor background and and i've never wanted to go back to a crop sensor. although i skipped aps i went from micro four thirds to uh to sony full frame If if you enjoy using those lenses on whatever system, whether it be APS-C, whether it be micro four-thirds, I I took some photographs I'm really happy with to this day on on micro four-thirds using classic lenses. And nobody can tell me that my shot was no good because I didn't take it Mm -hmm. on a full-frame sensor. It was good for what it was. You use the tool that you have in front of you to take the best photo you can, or you just enjoy the experience. And you can do that on any camera.
1: Yeah, 100%. yeah. Absolutely. And you I, I know, know Sorry, yeah. go on. No, no, go ahead, Barry. Uh, just on, on the Nikon Z six, I think there's a couple things it has going for it that especially, yeah, for you, Simon, I think you would really like it because A, the viewfinder, is gorgeous on the Z six and the Z7. It they're just they're so, so nice. Um, and and Ibis actually works on these because you know the larger uh bayonet mount and the larger sort of throat size has a few advantages for the Nikon both in terms of lens design and I think like their IBIS works a lot better than Sony you can actually see it on the screen um, but you know for me the biggest turn off of the Z6 and the Z7 apart from price compared to Sony is A they handle like Nikons right which you know I when, when I shot DSLRs I shot cannons and everything on a Nikon is the wrong way round Right, um, right. Yeah, like cannons and Leicas, they all kind of go in one direction, right? And then Nikons and, and a couple other systems go in the other direction. It just, just drives me nuts. Um, but that's, of course, purely subjective. But the second thing is on the Z6 and the Z7, the prism looks so stupid. Yeah, yeah. It looks it looks so stupid. It's like someone glued something to the top of it, and I just can't get over how ugly that is. I th- Otherwise, I think I'd be they, all over it.
2: Yeah, I think, they, I think it's so Nikon. I mean, it's just so Nikon of Nikon. I think that they <laughs> did this on purpose so that people wouldn't confuse it with their DSLRs. Like, they had to make it noticeably different. And probably Canon did the same thing, too, is, like, they, they had to make them noticeably different design-wise to differentiate from their other too many products they have in their DSLR
1: lines is all I but, can figure. But the ESR, EOS R and the EOS RP look good, Right. The, yeah, the Nikon. I think Nikon, they look, look decent. The, the Nikon, yeah, it looks like you should be gluing like googly eyes onto that some, onto that or something.
0: <laughs> you know, every time I look at it, I'm just like, it's so dumb. But Why that, would you do that? Doesn't that make you want to stick on there an LTN 39 Jupiter 11 though, even more? <laughs> no. What, with googly eyes. Exactly. The whole I mean, it, it, it looks silly, and then you put a, a ridiculous lens on the front of it, and it I, I like that that appeals to me for some reason.
1: <laughs> uh, no I I I can't say I'm a fan of stupid looking cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: I, the only other thing I was going to add to this was to to your point, Simon. About um, I think you were basically saying that it. In the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you can make a good image. It doesn't matter if it's full frame, if it's you know what whatever. Although your preference is for full frame, right? um it's it's not as if you can't make images in other yeah. formats and and i i think that's a it's a well-made point and i mean to me kind of that's what mm-hmm. it comes down to like I, I think i i've said if i buy another digital camera body it will be a full frame sony to use for di- as a digitizer for digitizing my film and i mean i would seriously if they get cheap enough i would really like to get one for that exact purpose mm-hmm. um but for actual shooting, I mean, I'm, you know what? Ultimately it's kind of the thing I said before where I care almost at least as much about the, the um, experience of making the images as I do about the final product. Um, and to me, that's why I kind of landed on uh, Fuji was I like the experience so much more. I mean, to me, the the whole re the whole problem i had with digital from the start uh which i was doing on canon dslr was that i hated the experience of making photos that way because everything i felt like there is a a fog a fog of uh something between me and making the photos because i'm i'm going through this interface that i hate where i have to move around a focus point and i have to go into menus and, and do things. And I always felt like there was this mediated uh, wall between me and being able to, to just do the basics of making an exposure and finding focus. And I always hated that about using the cannons. And th- that's why when I sold my cannons, I got the Fuji. I was so happy about making photos again is that wall was sort of gone. Um, and that mm-hmm. wall is a personal bias of mine that comes from the way I learned how to do things, right? I learned how to do them on, on manual focus film cameras. And if I wanted to, to, to change the exposure, I moved, you know, two rings on the camera and I, and that was that right. And, and, and if I wanted to focus, I turned the other ring. <laughs> and that's the experience that I was wanting to have with digital all along that I could never get to. Cause there was this wall of control uh, between me and being able to make a photo. And, and I, it never sat well with me. And I got, at least to a very large degree, I got back to that when I, you know, when I started shooting the Fuji. So for me, yeah. ultimately, I don't care as much about the, the sensor size. I will say, when I got the Fuji, I looked at Olympus, uh, because in a lot of ways, I thought that would be a great system. But to me, the four-thirds is just, it's a bridge too far. It's like 110 film but digital. And to me, that is, I know I can make, I know I could make a great image with it, but it's, it's a bridge too far. So, but to me, APS-C isn't really that much of a compromise. I mean, APS-C is the format that Hollywood movies were shot in for generations. So, and there's no problem there. So I didn't really see that as a problem in terms of um, image quality. And I, I don't really care about the crop factor when the crop factor is to me, rather minuscule, um, so I mean, to me, a you know a 50 millimeter lens, that's an 80 millimeter lens. Fine, I don't, and that works. I don't have a problem with that. Um, so anyway, I, I'm just to say that ultimately, to me, it comes down to the experience of making the photo because our every minute that we are alive on this planet is one minute less that we are alive on this planet. <laughs> and so, to me, the 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 act of doing something is kind of important. So, I want the experience the time that i'm spending using a camera to be time that i enjoy um and I, that's where you know for me the fuji's kind of tick a certain box that that makes me a little bit happier so that's my very cerebral rant about fuji
1: uh, that i mean <laughs> it makes total sense It's, i think <laughs> what you've just said is also the reason why um i think for for people who like to shoot the way that we do often it, the M10D is so appealing, <laughs> at least for <laughs> <Right>. me. <laughs> right. when, when when they announced that camera, um, you know, the vast majority of the internet goes, this is the stupidest thing ever. What the hell? When they announced the M10D, at least three of my friends texted me right away and they were like, your dream camera has arrived. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it totally is. But, you know, there, there is something really important about that because, Ultimately, you know the the way that you shoot a camera. If you put different cameras in people's hands, they're going to react differently, right? And so, you know, a lot of people hate the way that a Leica feels because it has no grip, right? Sure. Um, I had someone the other day hand me their D seventy one hundred, which they really, really liked. And I held it and I thought, this doesn't even fit in my hand. The grip, the grip is too tight to the lens. Yeah. Um. So I, I could never go out and shoot this, but they really liked it and. You know, it's a great camera if, if if it fits your hand properly. So, yeah, f- from the, from a kind of handling perspective, again, that that's a, that's a, exactly my problem with the Sony too. Because the shooting experience that I get from a Fuji is what I want from my Sony. Because everything else about the Sony is so much better.
2: Yeah, I I, I kind of wish that Sony would buy Fuji out of their right. camera business and just let the. <laughs> <laughs> Let the Fuji engineers design the 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 interface between the human and the camera and then you would have like the perfect camera. Exactly. You Sony's <laughs> engineers
1: and Fuji's designers and you right the perfect, perfect right, camera. Right. Hmm.
2: Okay. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Um Yeah, okay.
0: Okay. That's 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 enough of the food you love again and uh and so on. Let, let's uh let's let's do some actually before I say let's do the rest of the emails. Um yeah. let's just do a quick another plug for our Facebook group, which is Classic Lenses Podcast, it's called. Um right. and don't forget, if you do wish to join it, you do have to answer the questions. A right. question. It's a question. And it's, and it's, this is, this is how, this is why our group's a nice group because we let people in <laughs> that engage and engage right at the start. And the, and the start is that, that, that application process, if you like. And it's simple. We're not asking for anything ridiculous. Just, just, uh, just, just answer the question in, in some way. And, you know, saying Thailand or yes or, Okay, that is not good enough. Yeah, you know, we need to know that you've actually read <laughs> what what it is that yeah. we've actually put on there. So, uh, so, so, so please, please do and uh, and come in. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a great group. And um, you know, if you if you like the sound of that, then we we want you in there as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Let's
2: right. let's try and do the rest of the emails. Run to the email. Okay, you got it. So we're going to start uh, with Philip with an F. That's right. Okay. Philip Lenrick. I kind of reading this as flip Lenrick, which would be a really, really cool nickname. Philip, if you ever want to be a flip, that would be a really cool nickname. Um, uh, Tuesday, February 11th, 2020 subject on silent shutters and fading pan F. Uh, Philip says, hello, Simon Perry and Johnny. This is a non-paid ad for a Facebook group in brackets. Um, I quite recently started with street photography uh, but have so far managed hit the streets of two cities, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Malmo, Sweden. Um, and a few small towns and villages no need to name them. The experiences are very different. Uh, take shutter sound as an example. The cities are so loud and noisy that you could probably do sneaky, Sneaky, sneaky photography with a Pentax 67 without anyone hearing you. Villages, on the other hand, are quiet places. The shutter on my Besat T is loud enough that people turn their heads when it fires. The Leica M3 is much better for sneaky, sneaky situations, although not quiet enough. I've never been to Chicago, but if it is half as noisy as Copenhagen, it makes sense that Johnny doesn't care about the shutter noise. Yeah, it's basically like Copenhagen, but with gunfire. <laughs> um, uh, if you or your audience members Are interested in the unique Problems and joys of village street photography You are hereby invited to the Newly started Facebook group uh, Small town and village Street photography City dwellers must do some travel in order to share Their work though This is a non-paid ad for science uh, Research attached Is a paper by Oh my god Tadeki Tani Fuji Films. Fuji Photo Film Company's uh, Ashiraga Research Laboratories, Kanagawa, Japan. Published... (laughs) In, in 1989 in Physics Today. It is a fairly technical read, but the introduction and the first couple of images might shed some light on how the latent image is formed and how it could possibly, potentially fade with time. Recommended read. PDFs are available for free online if you search a bit. Otherwise, you can buy it from the journal. And there's a link here that we'll include. Uh Forward slash Philip. P.S. If... Uh uh P.S. I have asked a traveling colleague to bring some Jepsons Malort back from Chicago. So there might be some filmed consumption for both old world Bosque and New World Bosque coming up forward slash me again. <laughs> what a great
1: email. <laughs> what the hell is Bosque?
2: That's that's the non-bastardized original uh form of what Jepsen's malort is, uh, Yeah. Okay. It's
1: a genre right. of torture.
2: Is it? You, you were correct. So if you were if you were being legitimately Swedish, you would be with your what's that smelly fish called? You would be it's having. Streaming. Yeah, you would have the, your bosk with that, and it would be you would you would be like that would be legit. If you were in Chicago, you would be drinking Malort with some fish from a garbage can or something. <laughs> that's the that's the difference.
0: So, and and of course, this also gives Philip the opportunity to video himself.
2: Uh, yeah, opening
0: that that Malort because we want to see it opened and uh, right. and, and uh, explaining why you're doing it. And, right, uh, that will put you into the draw with no names in. Uh, that's right to win a wet-on-wet bokeh Raynox one three five two
2: point eight 2.8 lens. And and if I may suggest, Philip, in keeping with the uh, small town and village street photography group, which you have started, I suggest when you do this Malort drinking that you set up a little booth in your favorite little small town and set up a video camera and do it live, like kind of on the mini town square and just see if everybody enjoys that in the little town there. I think that would be great. Then you'd have a crowd of people and they'd be like, whoa, what's he doing? He's drinking some shitty American liquor. And then there they would be like a whole, it would be epic. You would go down in the history of that village and they would put up like a monument to you in the town square.
0: You, you came so close to breaking out into the Swedish chef then and then stopped yourself, <laughs> didn't you? I
2: didn't want to go there because that would be racist. <laughs> Yes. all
1: right okay anyway
2: next, next, next one let's let's fly through some emails okay now. uh from heritage cameras wednesday february 19 2020 subject instant slr for m42 lenses hi simon expect you've seen this already but it looks like fun kickstarter link here regards david perlman pyramid pyramid heritage cameras
0: that's it, and uh, I've already I, I sent a quick response to to Dave, and I made a post in our our group as well. And, and this is to do with that, um, yeah, uh, that camera. It's a SLR Instax camera. It's a Kickstarter that's out there at the moment, and it's called the Nons, sl S S L forty two, and it's so so. It it looks like a. Uh anyway, 1970s uh film film camera SLR, except yeah. it's a bit big, so it's press heading more towards like a practical six in size. Um and it's 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 almost it's got to be made of plastic. But the yeah. the interesting thing about it though is that you've got it, it has a an M42 mount on it and it takes you know you can control shutter speeds it's is a true slr so it's a reflex camera you look through uh, mirrors and uh, and you see what's going on through the lens it's all corrected and you've got shutter speed and aperture control which i think in in principle for an instax camera it's like finally you know the mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, different right. ways of doing this now finally somebody's has actually gone out and actually done something that you know is is accessible to to most right thinking um classic lenses users and that we can go out and do something within stacks the snag and there's always a snag and it's not the price because the price is actually pretty sensible actually in fact how much they're going for uh hong kong just convert that into pounds so it's about 154 pounds i don't know 170 dollars something like that which yeah for a new piece of equipment that takes photographs that's damn good um yeah and um but the downside is that the the image circle that is projected onto the instax film is nowhere near as large as the instax film so you have an absolutely huge uh vignette um but there's some good uh example photographs um on the site and we'll put links to the kickstarter campaign because it's still live at the moment and uh, actually how well is it doing it's not that far off uh uh, been um, the pledges have been met, so that's 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 it's likely to go ahead. But if you can if you can be um, creative with how you use that vignette, it 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 can have a a really good effect. So uh, I know Perry has been quite negative towards the vignette, and John has been quite positive towards that.
1: Well, I mean the concept, as you say, is great. Uh, I I'm just. Lukewarm about this for a couple of reasons. Number one, yeah, you know the image circle. If they can, if they can make this happen with medium format lenses, it makes much more sense to me. Yeah. And the 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 thing that really gives me pause is because it's a Hong Kong based Kickstarter for camera hardware, um, and we know what the sort of history of that looks like. It it strikes me as bizarre because Hong Kong is home to at least three or four. Uh, we call them Sifu here, which basically means like masters um, who are really good at hacking Instax cameras, like Instax square, Instax mini cameras uh, with medium format lenses to make them work, uh, you know, with covering the full image circle. So there, and and this guy who's running this Kickstarter is not someone I've ever heard of before. It's not one of the Sifus who I, I guess that translates to almost like a sensei or a master. It's got that, you know, like, listen-to-me grasshopper kind of vibe to, to <laughs> behind that. Um, yeah. I don't really know who this guy is. And, and the just the fact that we are... Um, it's very easy to get a medium format version of this done in Hong Kong. Um, that makes me wonder, why have you done it in M42? And will it actually ever... Exist because it's a Hong Kong-based camera Kickstarter, and the last one we saw was the Yashica Y35, which does ex- did exist, but you know, wasn't as uh, exciting as it was marketed in the first place.
0: Well, I think this is, there's there's a, a really simple answer. I think uh, this is my interpretation of why they went M42. It's just the availability of lenses. Uh, accessibility of lenses. Um, you can get hold of the lenses very, very easily. Um, if they went down the medium format route, well, which system would they use? I mean, I'm thinking the, the probably the most common system to use it with is probably Practica 6.
1: I'm no, usually the ones that are converted here in Hong Kong use uh, Zeiss 75mm 3.5 Tessars from any. Of hundreds of dead cameras.
0: Yeah, but that. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's. I'm talking about something that with with its own mount. So you have a, a, an interchangeable lens system. Yeah, Mamiya Press.
1: It it's, yeah. It's,
0: it, yeah, but you say that, but it, they are they very niche, very very. Yeah,
1: niche. no fair, fair,
0: fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just in in terms of pure numbers, I mean Hasselblad have got to be up there, um, but again, the cost of the the, the lens is going to be, is going to far outweigh. Uh, the the camera, which you know, it can do that, but also the the heavy lenses because they've got the shutter in there, which is something you that's don't true. need. Um, so well, uh, and maybe the M- the Mamiya uh, six four five lenses yeah, that might Pentax six four five, yeah. But again, you know, none none of these systems or lenses that people come across or are likely to have access to via a friend or something like that. And I think mm. that's probably the reason why they went down the most accessible route first. And uh, and perhaps yeah. if this works, then they might you know try and come up with some way of using different mounts that slide in and slide out like the like the reflex camera system which um has gone a bit quiet uh with their sliding mount system. um they might be able uh-huh. to do something like that with this, but it's it's gonna be complicated because you've got different ways of controlling apertures and so on and so on so it's it's a bit of a nightmare,
1: yeah I mean again, the concept is great um <sighs> camera kickstarter camera hardware kickstarters though I don't know, man. You know, unless it's coming from someone like Ethan, where you know he's <laughs> yeah. he's done it and his stuff works and it's simple because it's like um, you know, he's not making all kinds of shutters and things like that. I, I just I just look in this go and, and I go, Can you guys actually deliver this? You know, and even if you do eh.
0: hmm. I mean actually that is a one I I I've not looked into it enough to work out how is actually how these people are doing the shutter. So uh that could be interesting because it goes up to a five hundredth of a second, so it's got to be something reasonably sophisticated. But uh, yeah. going back to that vignette I mentioned you, you earlier, Johnny, you 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 were you had less of an issue with that when we
2: were chatting about this. Yeah, it, it still looked like it'd be fun. I don't know. I I, I don't know. It's like a creative thing. You just to work around the work around the vignette. I I it, it kind of struck me the same way. It was like M forty two because it's ubiquitous and it's easy.
1: It's kind mm-hmm. of what I figured.
2: that's kind of what I figured as well, you know, and then i the, my second thought was, well yeah, great, you get that and just hack that and put a different mount on it, <laughs> and you 're all set, <laughs> so i don't know though, but it depends on like the throat of the uh, you know it's it 's complicated, but i i don't how much are they how much were they asking for the, that thing well in pounds it's one hundred and fifty something so. yeah, see so you could <laughs> probably pretty much go to like a guy like um uh, Holga mods and pretty much just have a custom one adapted for you with any lens you want because he does them mm-hmm. for probably yeah. not that much more. That's that's kind of the kicker is that yeah the problem is going
0: to be the the mirror though because if you're using a, a larger um, image circle you need a, a, an equivalently large mirror to actually see the what,
1: whole of your.
2: Is this thing bow. have a mirror in it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's an SLR. Oh, that's
1: stupid. <laughs> Yeah, Definitely. right. That's why I doubt whether it's actually going to deliver. It's got a full shutter and SLR mechanism oh, and like in converted dumb. in stacks where you scale yeah. focus, right?
2: Yeah, right. Oh, no, that's just dumb. Okay. Uh, now I think it's stupid. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> well, there you go. we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. It's brilliant, but it's too it's too complicated for a Kickstarter. I don't know. Whatever. If, it, Hold, if it Wishing works. them the best of luck. Exactly.
0: Yes. If it works, yeah. Let's be positive yeah. about it and shoot some cool film right. photos. Yes, um, exactly. That's exactly. Phrase, yes. Um, okay. Let's, 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 <laughs> Where'd let's you move. get that from? I, I, it just came straight out of my head. Um, uh, so <laughs> let's, let's 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 move on to the next one, and uh, we won't mention uh, uh, APS-C taking the world by storm and the hottest trend in film photography and so on.
2: Right, right. Uh, next up, Jamie Bloomquist um, wrote us on the 20th of February. Show 106. Guys, great show last week, number 106. I want to thank Anil for his great insights on asking strangers for street portraits on a previous show. I have deployed this advice right down to the business cards and Pentex Emmy with great success. Thank you, Anil and CLP, Jamie Bloomquist. That was yeah. very nice. That was cool. that was a great episode. I
0: I I d don't know if I'm not sure when that was actually. Um yeah. Perry, you know all the uh the, the show numbers off the top of your head. When was when was Annals first appearance on our show?
1: Oh, that was early. That was a long time ago. It was.
2: was um, it like in the 30s or something.
1: Yeah, it was one of the very, very early ones. Yeah. Uh 24. 24. 24. <laughs> all right. There you go. Anybody who's go. not
0: listened to that show and is interested in getting into street photography and techniques and tips, go to that episode. It's got some great stuff in there.
1: And in also- the description, Simon, you've included uh, the phrase, this episode contains mild swearing.
2: Back <laughs> <laughs> when we worried about such things.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I, I didn't... I. I was thinking about bleeping something last week um, and I said, no, I wasn't going to do it and I didn't, but I'm going to do it this week. Just so I'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> when we get to that point, you'll understand if we get to that point, then you won't. So uh, if we don't, that is anyway. So uh, now I've clarified that let's um, let's do our next, next email.
2: Okay. This is from Jean-Michel Mendiza, also <laughs> known as John Michael, I think uh, February 24th, 2020, a discussion of size question mark. Dear classic lens gurus, I realize any discussion of size is likely to slip away from the theme of photography, especially when a bunch of dudes start talking about the size of their lenses. But there are so many questions. Smiley face. I, a while ago I was take, talking about lenses with my boss and he asked if you guys had ever mentioned why and when lenses started getting so much bigger. He was of the opinion that older lenses generally tended to be smaller and that later lenses tended to be l- to be to be bigger this got me thinking and looking for some concrete examples if we look at the progression of the carl zeiss jena biotar 58 millimeter f2 over the years it seems to have increased in size but not weight in 1950 at least the filter thread gets bigger but i don't know if the front element itself changes also the tessar 50 millimeter f2.8 on my old folding 35 millimeter Baltica camera appears to be much smaller than the later 50 f2 Tessar for the practica cameras on the other hand the older minolta hymatic 7s 40 millimeter 1.8 has a much larger lens on it than the newer 7s2 40 millimeter 1.7 then uh, compare the smaller Roloflex 80 millimeter f2.8 with the larger Hasselblad equivalent. So here's the question. What are the factors that affect a lens? A lens's size? Rangefinder, folding camera, TLR seems to have smaller lenses than SLRs. Why is that? Would you guys also say there's more modern lenses tend to be bigger? And of course, most importantly, question, is bigger better? Smiley face. All the best from Germany. Jean-Michel.
1: John Michael, oh, there's a lot in there. There is. I I think I think one of the first things to sort of move aside in this discussion because you kind of have to compare apples with apples, right? Right. Um, So when it comes to things like rangefinders, folding cameras, and TLRs versus like a Hasselblad, a lot of that is just down to the form factor of the camera and therefore the lens design spec that the designers would have had to work to. So it's kind of working backwards where if you're going to put a lens on a TLR the designer has to prioritize size in a way that someone making an SLR lens for like a Hasselblad wouldn't have to. But then if you look at the evolution of individual sort of lens lineages, um, I, I think that's a a more focused conversation, so to speak. Does yeah. that make sense?
2: Yeah. But I mean, apples to apples. I mean, a Hasselblad to Roloflex, the Hasselblad has the shutter in the lens. Hmm. So you've got – you have the the same – the glass, if you look at the glass on an 80-millimeter you know, RoloFlex versus a Hasselblad. I don't think the front elements are all that much different. The Hasselblad is definitely a bit bigger, but they're not all that much different. But the 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 problem is, you think about what's going on there. You have the the shutter is in the lens itself. Mm-hmm. So the shut so the lens size is accommodating the the shutter mechanism and all the focusing. You know, now the yeah the focusing and everything else, the helicoid. You've got all that stuff. On the lens, whereas in a TLR, you've got just a simple leaf shutter, yeah. right? And you've got the focusing is not built into the lens body, so the lens can be much much smaller because it doesn't have to do any of those things that the Hasselblad lens has to do. I mean, my God, the Hasselblad lens has got you know the shutter, the 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 flash sync contact. I mean, it's all on the lens itself, right? So by nature, it the it has to be larger and it's also an SLR lens. So it has to be working around the mirror. It's got to yes. the, the, the design itself has to be extended to work around the mirror box.
1: Yeah. Right. When you increase the distance from the back of the lens to the right. film plane, um, yeah. it introduces complexities, right? So the closer, uh, right. that's why mirrorless is, is, you know, such a boon for lens designers too, because it's easier to design a lens when it's closer to the film plane
0: yeah it's it's just yeah. worth uh, just rewinding that one a little bit because a tlr is still a mirrored camera
2: yeah it, yeah. it, it yeah. is um, but
0: it's no no i'm not i'm not disagreeing yeah. with you but the, the, right, right, right. Because all, the, all the points that you made were ab- absolutely right yeah you know, the, the helicoid shutters and, and so on it but if you actually look at the actual um this is probably the not, not the most scientific way of doing it but if you measure the distance from the film plane of a of a, of a, of a tlr uh, to yeah. the front element for instance and that's not this is not the scientific way to do it and um, measure that it's like exactly the same distance with something like a Hasselblad um, yeah. The distance is probably not going to be that difference because the uh, on an mm-hmm. 80 millimeter Hasselblad lens, the, the, uh, the front element is actually quite sunk into the lens, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, so they,
2: they probably are, are quite similar to each other in, in, a, yeah. in, a, in that way. But the, the, but the big difference being that the TLR that, the taking lens is not where the mirror is, right? So that it's a the same distance, though. It's the same distance from the film plane. It's it's similar, but it's not. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be quite as much because the reflex is a mechanism. No, it's, it's the same.
0: Not. It's going to be exactly the same because it, it sits on the same plane of focus.
1: No, yeah yeah yeah. But well, what the I'm saying the is, optical design we, is identical.
2: Right, but, but what I'm saying idea. is, you have a moving mirror on the SLR. You don't have a yeah. moving. You don't have a. Although you don't have the additional mechanism to move the mirror. That's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so it'll be a little bit different. But no, you're right. I mean, it's going to be similar. They're not that much. They're not. And
1: different. you also have to factor in different um, interactions between the mechanical design and the optical design. Right. Because right, right, the, the mechanical uh, moving parts on a interchangeable SLR lens on the Hasselblad, it's going to be a yeah. little more complex than the uh, Roloflex's system of just kind of moving the entire face forward and backwards. Right. Yeah. Right,
2: right, right. Oh, and I mean, it's, it, it's similar with a Tessar, the 50 millimeter 2.8 Tessars, the little, the little silver Tessars, those are preset lenses. They don't have, they don't have an aperture that has to automatically open and close yeah. right during exposure, which is like the later ones on the Practica. It's a, it's a, it's got a, it, the, the shutter, the, um you know, the aperture has to move on the fly. So that adds more complexity there as well. You
0: just going back to the, and I don't want to dwell on the on on the Hasselblad eighty millimeter, because I don't know quite as much about it as I'd, as I'd like. But you yeah. look at the original version of that lens, and it's relatively small, and then it's yeah. grown mm-hmm. um, in in different iterations. But I think the yeah, the all the mechanics around it have got larger for for whatever reason, which I think is a good idea. Going back to that Tessar that you mentioned there, um, because yeah, there was. Many of them, and let's, let's say we're talking about the SLR versions now that would have come out with like the uh, those original screw mount contact cameras. So I think that's what the I think that's what that lens came out with. Um, so that was like um, uh, preset and uh, multiple aperture blades and, and so on, but tiny. And yeah. then you compare that to something that was out in the 70s um, and uh, still on M42 or uh, or possibly the Pratica B mount, and actually, those lenses. I haven't actually, haven't actually grown that much in in the length of the lens but there's certainly a lot fatter yeah and you've you've already touched upon there you've got the automatic uh, aperture mechanism okay. is going is going to take up space but i think there's another thing that that that's factored in there is when you act, when you've got a uh, an ever-growing SLR in size, you know, SLRs have got bigger over time when they've had more functionality and so on. When you put a, a particularly small lens in front of a relatively large camera, then there's a little bit of an imbalance. And it, it, and mm. I certainly feel that occasionally when I'm using some of these smaller 1950s lenses, they, they're a bit fiddly. Um, whereas if you use something that's, uh, you know, eff- effectively optically the same, um, but it's a, a more modern design. They're they're larger, but you've, you that tends to follow that you've got a, an easier to use focus grip and an easier to use aperture ring. Because if you look at the, that that as an example, you know you've you've got to use you're using just like part of your fingertips to focus it, and mm-hmm. it can be a bit awkward at times.
2: Well, I guess I, mean, I, I, it, I I I don't find that so. I actually prefer the smaller. But I mean, I, but I th- I like where you're going with that simon because that i think a good example here is the hymatic 7s versus the 7s2 and i think what you have to factor in there is when those two cameras came out and what happened generally speaking in the camera world at that same time and what happened was the olympus o.m um, so basically, Canon and Nikon, in particular, were making these larger and larger and larger, increasingly larger, gigantic cameras. And then the Olympus came out, and it suddenly everything got smaller again, and everything got smaller. I mean, everything got smaller. So the rangefinders that had gotten big got smaller. I mean, everything got smaller, right? So, it, so part of it was that 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 there was a shift back to smaller designs right about the 1970s early 70s um and that was just kind of b- because the camera market the cameras had gotten so much bigger and even even that was part of the uh the selling point on even the pen f line was that it was a, it was a smaller system it was a you know Basically close to the same quality on a smaller piece of film, but a much smaller system to carry around because cameras had suddenly really started to get bigger as SLRs got more uh, predominant. And so by the time you're to 1965, 66, the SLRs had really gotten quite large. Um, so there was a swing back at, in right about 1970-ish towards smaller design. Well, th-
0: that's an interesting point you make about the Olympus, air because lens for lens, certainly when uh, that system came out and the, the OM system came out, yeah, they are small lenses compared to other yeah. people's lenses. I mean, you look at the 85 f2; it's got to be the smallest of its of its type, even even now.
2: Yeah, right.
0: And, uh, but they could have made it smaller still, and they didn't. Then and this is what, what I'm coming to. You know, you look at those nineteen like fifties Tessars and and biot. Well, I'm not sure about the biotars, but certainly some of the, some of those lenses with very thin uh, focus yeah. grips and stuff like that. I'm so glad they didn't revert back to that. Well, tiny but they, thing because it, it's just it's the, the ergonomics but, of having something that you can actually fit your whole finger onto instead of part of your finger. Yeah, it's going to be a good thing.
2: But they're the but you're talking again auto aperture lenses versus preset lenses where they mm-hmm. by necessity they have to be a certain size so I think they made them as small as they possibly could while still incorporating the ability for them yeah. to be auto you know but I mean then again the Olympus the other thing they did that I think is uh, interesting is that they took the aperture ring and brought it back up front where it belongs. <laughs> Right, I mean, as opposed to Canon and Nikon and all them, the aperture ring is always back behind the focus ring, which I find awkward on any design. Um, So they they they've brought the aperture ring back to the very front of the lens, which I think is where it belongs. Which basically what they did is they made an SLR version of the Leica M cameras and that was not so,
0: accidental either that was very much by design yeah but they also so, they also put the shutter speed the shutter dial in a daft place so next to where you're moaning about the place where they put aperture <laughs> yeah but you don't do you don't you don't mess with that as much it's a yeah, slot- but- well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Well, then again, yeah. that's why you like your Fujis, because of that that speed dial. So, why, yeah.
1: so there you go. What can so, it so hold you? on. Uh, before we start dissing Olympus and OM cameras <laughs> <design, laughs> on, on, on lens size, right? I, I mean, I, I think um, you're both right, because without question, the manufacturers must be considering handling when they're designing these lenses. Sure. But the complexity is also, you know, if you look at the schneider zenons we've been discussing, Right. The the 50 F2 um, 15 blade for Xacta is so much smaller than the later Xacta 51.9 um, and the DKL 51.9. Um, and a large part of that is, you know, possibly balanced on the camera, but also just those later lenses are mechanically much more complex mm-hmm. uh, than mm-hmm. the early Xenon because they've got the auto aperture or in the case of the DKL, all the stupid mi- moving parts it needs to interact with the retina. Right. Yeah,
2: I I do think it's mostly form follows function, but I think, Simon, I think you are right that there's also, you know, there's the other element as well. And I mean, just the other, that's the other thing is that the idea of grips on cameras is really not a thing that you see until basically the 1970s, those little side the little side grip stuff right you really don't see that and you do, and i mean certainly don't see it in the way that you do until the 1980s when you get like the rebel all the rebel stuff where uh-huh. they started integrating the grip into the side of the camera because you know you have those uh, those lenses just got bigger because of all the autofocus stuff so the autofocus you know you add in auto aperture and all that that's one size factor but now you add an autofocus and that has to be in the lens as well well mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be i mean you look at the the nikons with it in the body the screw um but it it more or less you have there's there's much more that's going on inside the lens itself that yeah. necessitates it has to be larger and then it's like the camera manufacturer's figure out well this lens is so big the camera's awkward so we got to put a grip on the side of the camera so i think so i simon i think you're right in that the balance thing becomes more and more of an issue over time you know yeah um and i mean truth be told i like the grip on my little rangefinders i like adding that little side grip onto my you know i have one on my my leica i have them on my um um my uh what you call it, my vivitar or my vivitars my Bessas, i like having that little bump outside grip i i actually find it much more comfortable to walk around with the camera in one hand with a little bit of grip on the side of the the camera it's not necessary i just find it more comfortable yeah so, and,
1: and you know when when you're talking about modern developments like autofocus and stuff um part of john michael's question is you know modern lenses tend to be bigger would would that be the case and i think it's obviously the case, right? Because um, there must be a point where the designers stop caring about size because, number one, with the development of it being much easier to make aspherical elements, they could correct things that they couldn't correct before, but also, more importantly, with the development of, like, really obnoxious lens comparisons um, where, you know, every every modern lens review is the same, right? Number one, sharpness. Look at this chart. Number two, uh, Chromatic apparition, look at this ruler, right? Um, number three, bokeh, look at this. And and so as the market shifts to want more and more of this kind of hyper-corrected optical stuff, a lot of designers have, you know, it's it's almost a marketing thing where they're like, we can produce the most perfectly corrected lens to the point where if you look at things like the Zeiss Otis and the Sigma Arts um, and then lenses of that ilk, the really impressive ones are almost the absurd lenses like the Leica APO Summicron because they've, su- they've managed to keep it so damn small. Whereas a lot of yeah. other mod- modern manufacturers under the pressure of what the more modern market demands have thrown size consideration out the window yeah. um, as a- an important factor in lens design. Because, I mean, m- my perspective is smaller is always better for lenses. I-, yeah. I have, you know, if a lens is too big, I just won't use it, even if I really, really like it. Yeah, same here definitely have a smaller lens preference
2: okay
0: well that answers the question there uh, which is put at the end is bigger better no so <laughs> there we go um, right we've we've been talking for ages so let's uh i think we need to start winding winding things down unless there's something else that uh, either of you've got to get off your chest before we go home yeah no, i don't think so okay okay well in in that case i wish to thank uh, Mike Epstein, uh, because uh, he is our uh, latest donor. So thank you very much, Mike. Um, actually, he's a recurring donor as well, so thank that you. makes it even extra special. So uh, th- thank you, Mike. I uh, really appreciate that. He donated to us via uh, Coffee uh, Ko-Fi, uh, That's ko-fi.com. And uh, you can find our page. And if you want to help us out, then feel free to do so there. So uh, so that's it. So thank you uh, very, mu- very much for that, Mike. Um, so Perry, um, any shout outs this week? Uh,
1: yes, I have a shout out to you, Simon, um, because in the mail a couple of days ago, I received a letter uh, and inside the letter was no paper, but a lens cap. And Simon has sent me uh, an, a prototype of an X-Pan rear cap uh, for the lens. And this is very important because, you know, I bought that Nikon 35 perspective control lens uh, that I'm going to try on the X-Pan with a wattometer and an adapter, but I can't do it yet because I need a rear cap for my actual X-Pan lens because I only have one. Um, So now that this thing has arrived, it fits. And uh, if you are an owner of an X-Pan, I know there are definitely some among our listeners and in our Facebook group, and you are like me and you lack a rear cap and you don't want to pay the stupid amount of money that uh, you know an original x-pan cap will cost you uh simon here could hook you up with some of the good stuff
0: well i I certainly will do when my 3d printer starts to work again (laughs) I've, uh, i've gone seven days without without it working properly and i've got some problems with it and uh there's a nice man in China that's trying to talk to me and said, send me a video. And then the videos are too large. And I think he's giving up on me to be honest, but uh, I will, I will get this, this printer running again and uh, start uh, my empire of odd, odd, Uh, rear lens caps. Um, uh, I've got the... I've recently done the Pentacon 6 one, which I've not actually put on sale yet because I haven't really built up enough stock of those, but that works really nicely. Um, And uh, I've, I've had three... Very happy customers who have bought uh exacto lens caps off me, and so uh, yeah x pans on on the list, and there's a few others like conic uh, all those those things that you you can't just buy from china in, uh, for for pennies, uh, which also means that they're not for pennies they're not exactly cheap these things but they take you know sometimes an hour and a half to make one of these things such as like the Penticon Pentagon six caps um, It can be done easier but i'm 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 trying to like make them nice at the same time as well. So uh, so yeah, so uh, I've got exact exact caps on my eBay shop, um, so uh, there's a link in the in the notes there, but thank you very much and that's really good news that uh, that that one is working so'll um, I'll take some of the rough edges off it and then once my printer works again, I'll start knocking out some X-Pan caps.
1: Yeah, awesome. yeah, thank you for that. it's It's genuinely useful because that's literally the thing that stopped me from going out to shoot with this uh, adapted lens on the X pan
0: actually that's that's another thing if once once and wait wait for me to put this announcement out but um, once my printer works again if you have a lens an obscure lens and you want a lens cap for it um then get in touch with me and uh, if you send me the lens i can make an I can make a lens cap for you and i'll do that free of charge and send you a few for um, for for that experience of me being able to measure them up and make them so uh, um, do get in touch with me and uh, I'll have a go at making all sorts of weird and wonderful lens caps if I can so uh, any right. any more there uh, Perry uh,
2: nope okay Johnny any shout outs Um, I probably do but I I, I don't remember them this week <laughs> we've been on a while haven't we it'll have to be on uh, it'll be next week yeah yeah <laughs>
0: um i've only got it's not really a shout out but it's a case of uh, it's the wolverhampton camera fair on sunday uh march march the first i think it is yeah and again again it's the first one this year Wait, uh, how often does that happen i think it's about three or four well on march the first or
1: <laughs> no no
0: <laughs> no it's uh, it's uh, i think it's it's three or four times a year it depends it, oh, it, it, okay. it changes
1: i thought it was an annual thing and and i was like Am I hallucinating? It's like I swear this there, has happened at is, least three or four times. Yeah, recently. There,
0: there is an annual one which that's called Photographica, and that's in London. Um, I think that's in April or May. I think I can't quite remember what the date is there, um, and that's probably the the, the largest gathering of um, of. Uh, photographic use use photography equipment um the wolverhampton camera fair is the second largest one and it happens three times a year at uh, the wolverhampton Racecourse. and uh, i i will be there and i'll uh, i'm sharing the table um so i used to have two tables but i'm, I'm taking it down now because uh, i don't really need two tables worth so i'm sharing the table this time um and if i'm not at that table and chances are i'm on the i'm looking around hunting for bargains uh, which is tends to be what i try to do most of the time there because just there's, there's some great deals to be had so um mm. if you awesome if you can make it go to it it's well worth it and say hello to me if you can find me um and so that's it then so uh, um perry how can people follow you outside of this podcast
1: uh you can find me on instagram and Flickr at perry G. let's just go with that
0: okay and johnny how can people not follow you on instagram
2: uh I don't even remember where I find me on Instagram. I don't know. Look around. Um you can you can you can find me uh at Central Camera Company. If, if you want to talk to me in person, I'm there. Um and you can find me in our Facebook group, the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group, whereas that's it's kind of the one place I actually post photos now. So that's where they are. Um I'm just and- going
0: to say that if you if they do want to find you at Central Camera, there's only 5 days of the week they can manage that, isn't
2: there? That's true. So don't come on Sunday because we're closed and you'll be very sad when the gates are locked and I won't be there on Monday, but you can find me on the other days. Um, And let's see, let's run through the list. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, Well, you can find best vintage lens on Instagram. They are our Instagram partner. So be sure to check out best vintage lens. Uh, And and, uh, the
0: the one for last week's show where Ricardo's put out this, this morning. And, oh has uh, he oh, and we've made him so happy
2: oh He's good i'm glad so, to hear that so happy okay. he feel,
0: yeah he can, he can he can die now a happy man uh, because uh, we, <laughs> we didn't talk about range finders uh, The very little film camera talk and lots of uh, adapting SLr lenses onto digital, so he was a very, very happy man last week
2: ah i'm glad glad to hear that okay well that, I'll be looking forward to checking that out, and you should check that out too, and that is ricardo 's weekly rundown of the of the show. Uh, Ricardo's show notes. So be sure to check that out. Um, uh, Let's see what else on Instagram. I guess that's it. Um, On YouTube, you can watch the podcast. I guess you can watch the subtitles for the podcast on YouTube. Just look for best vintage lens on YouTube. Uh, And of course you can send us an email. Yeah. Best vintage lens on YouTube. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Classic lenses podcast on YouTube. Yeah. Not best vintage lens. So They're over. on. I don't think they have a YouTube, do they? Perhaps they should. Perhaps they should. Yeah, perhaps they should. Ricardo, idea time. You know what you need to do? You need to just record that. You need to record yourself. You need to be like the angry photographer or something. You need to record yourself bombastically reading the weekly show notes. (laughs) I think that would be awesome, actually. (laughs) You know what, Ricardo? You can come on to the Classic Lenses podcast YouTube, if you like, and you could put it there. We could, we could just put that on as a video right awesome. there if you like, right? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about it offline. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, and of course, you can, you sp- can send us… spitting his tea out at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you can send us an email, which we have yet again proven this week. We will read your emails if you send them to us. Send us an email at classic podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also of course find all the podcasts over at classic Lenses, uh, podcast.com where you'll get all the show notes and all the, the goodies that go with the whole experience of each weekly episode. Um, and speaking of goodies and experience, we should give a shout out to our fake sponsors. Uh, of course mentioned this week multiple times is Malort uh chicago's very own nasty swedish liqueur and of course those awesome guys over at fuck Yo swag they're our our favorite non-sponsor as well so check them out also um what else do we got what else do we got guys i think we're there i think we're there okay okay all right Okay, so uh, for me,
0: uh, you can find me every Tuesday night in the Six Towns Darkroom in Stoke-on-Trent, a place called Tunstall. If you want to get in touch uh, with me regarding that and coming along, uh, find me on Twitter as Simon Four or Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, You can find me in uh, both Photography with Classic Lenses and our wonderful Facebook group. And I just remembered uh, there are about 50 people uh, which are probably shortly going to get declined. If you're in that list and you're a listener and you've not answered the question, then join again. And answer the question, and uh, because we, you know, there's probably some good people in the in the. Uh, oh, I sound like Donald Trump now, don't I? Um, there's probably f- 50 fine people um, in there, many of them fine people in the, in that list of people which we've not let into the uh, group at the moment. So uh, if you're listening and you're in that list, then uh, we'll probably decline you, and then you can join again. So uh, so there's that. Um, there was
1: speaking some- of yeah. uh, speaking of Trump, Simon, are, are you a cricket fan at all? Not really. Okay, because you know he's in India right now, and there's a spectacular video of him trying to pronounce uh, Sachin Tendulkar's name in front of a big crowd. <laughs> oh
2: my god!
1: And and Sachin Tendulkar is you know perhaps the most oh yeah revered uh, cricketer out there, um, an absolute legend in in you know that part of the world, yeah. and he butchers it. It's spectacular. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, just the beauty of him being in what he would otherwise consider to be a shithole country because they've thrown him these big massive celebrations he loves India yeah. <laughs> that's amazing
1: and they're trying to ban Muslims so they got something in common
2: yeah exactly <laughs> oh, it's so brilliant Yeah,
0: can't wait to see that <laughs> okay
2: well uh...
0: <laughs> ending on that note um our music is by Kevin McLeod of Um I just remembered you can also hear me every two weeks or so on the Large Format Photography Podcast with Andrew Bartram. I keep forgetting that. Well, there you go. Um, and that's, that's good fun. So um, that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl.